Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Big episode 24 here mm-hmm. for you this week. Yes. And excitedly, at least for Justin and I, episode number two that we have done in person. Cha-cha-cha. Yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, just really, really cool. And we spent... We came together fast, too. Yeah, came together fast, and we spent... A solid three hours in the home of one Bobby Dragon. Yeah. I, I feel like it was more than three. Yeah, it was right around there. Well, we, yeah. uh, if you looked at the time code of this podcast before you started it, you can see that it was a longer interview. Yep. We were a little over two hours. So we did that. And we... Uh, he was nice enough to show us kind of his trophy room for about 20 minutes, which was so, so cool. Very cool. And showed Justin from a distance, uh-huh. not going through it, his massive scrapbook collection. And Justin was very happy. There was like a golden glow that came out of it, you know, like in those old movies when you open the treasure chest and the, the, the choir goes, ah, it was one of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, don't get me wrong. The trophies were awesome, but I'm a stats guy. Give me those, give me those newspapers. And you, uh, you gave Bobby some stats. You had yeah. your unofficial list of every single one of his wins. It's unofficial. Mm-hmm. I think there might be a couple that I've missed. Um, but he and I both have the same number of wins at 145. And think about how incredibly large that number is. 145 wins, especially in on asphalt. Um, well, mostly asphalt. And uh, in this region where wins are hard to come by. And consider the fact that Joey LeCare is the all-time win leader at Thunder Road, and he's only got 45 wins. Whereas at Devil's Bowl, because I can rattle that off the top of my head, Kenny Tremont has 89 wins under. Like, there's a huge um, spectrum. Discrepancy? Yeah, discrepancy. That's the right word. Thank you. Um, Between dirt and asphalt. And for a guy to win 145 races... Um, at places like Thunder Road and Catamount where it just was not easy to win. You know, if you had three or four wins a year, you were absolutely considered dominant. Um, That's an incredible number of wins. And uh, like I said, I think there might be a couple more, but I've got 18 championships confirmed. He's won all the big ones, the Milk Bowl, the Governor's Cup. Well, almost all of the big ones. Well, yeah, and he'll 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 hear in this episode. But he won at Watkins Glen. He won at Nazareth on the mile. Um, he won some 300s and 400s. I mean, how do you, 
I mean, he's a legend. He, and, uh, you know, maybe he's uncomfortable with that. And it's interesting um, because normally you think that and you see those type of numbers and you think, well, he wasn't going against the type of competition that some racers nowadays do. And then you list them off and it's a murderer's row. Yeah, it's all the guys we've talked to on the show. Yeah, it's your and Cabanas he, and your Dion's. <laughs> yeah, Crouch and Carafas and McCabe and Obi and his brother Beaver, for God's sakes. Um, it just, yeah, he was he was and is the real deal. He was the barometer that everybody was measured by in the 70s around here and the 80s and part of the 90s and even into the 2000s. Yeah, and... Yeah. We're very excited to kind of see how this episode does. And as you would expect, nothing less, we probably would compare it to our Dave Dion episode. Ooh, who's going to have more listens? Yeah, who's going to well, have more I mean, quicker listens? But we were pretty excited. This was arguably one of our most talked about in terms of social media episodes we've had pre-episode yeah after we it. yeah after we announce who the guest was and we always say we love to hear from you we actually recorded with bobby monday night after we announced who the guest was mm-hmm. and one of the comments intrigued me and i used it and the person who submitted the comment for the quick hitter questions at the end hey, hey look at that yeah, it was it was cool. And uh, when did we we got there? At what seven thirty? So we put the post out at five o'clock. And in that two and a half hours, I mean, that post spread like crazy. Um, you know, in terms of how our posts usually go. Um, and then there were a ton of comments. And uh, I think you mentioned Kevin LePage was one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just uh, the respect and the admiration. For, for Bob Dragon is it's you know palpable, um, and and for a good reason he's the nicest damn guy in the world. Um, you know he can drive the hell out of a race car. He's in better shape at seventy five than either one of us in our thirties. Sad but I, true. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I don't just, know if that's more yeah. an indictment on ourselves. Yes, per se, but. Uh, but no, it was a really fun time, and I'm glad he gave us the opportunity to come talk to him. And it it really seemed like we might be able to do some more stuff with him yeah. later. Yeah. With different ideas, and he was pretty open to to everything we were throwing out there. And we were just, we were that journeyman reliever. We just came in throwing junk, and he was like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. I'd probably do that. Yeah. We're just he, uh, throwing out random ideas. He he hadn't even heard. I don't think I had told you this, but he hadn't even heard of, of the show that we were doing, um, which is surprising in the fact that he is a mega race fan. He is more of a race fan than anybody else who's listening to the show, including you and I who are on the show. He knows everything that's going on in the world of outlaws, uh, sprint cars and late models, modifieds. He knows all the key players in the asphalt world. Um, I mean, the dude follows everything. 
He knows he knows everything. And wait till you hear who his favorite driver is. Blew me away. Um, I don't think we actually talked about that. I think that was afterwards when we were down in the no, trophy room. Come on, there, really? Buddy. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that in the uh, the close to today's show. Yeah. Well, but anyway. we do have a long show for you, an entertaining show, and he yeah, got really. into it after the first few minutes. Yeah. He uh, said he 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 was he was like, oh, this isn't going to be very good. I don't remember anything. I think then, the first ten min- minutes of this, I haven't edited it yet. To be completely honest, might be a little bit quiet because I had him cranked right up, and he was a little little passive at the beginning, but then. He got into it, got the yeah. levels right, and I think we had a fun time. Yeah. So, without further ado, it is now time for Justin to make today's introduction. Our guest tonight is, he really doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. Uh, one of the most popular drivers uh, ever to run this region, and certainly Vermont's most accomplished uh, driver on pavement, if not of all time. Uh, a multi-time champion of Catamount Stadium, Thunder Road, Devil's Bowl, Airborne, and the NASCAR uh, Northern Late Model Circuit back in the early 70s. And as far as I can tell, 145 career wins. That may be There may be more, actually, that I haven't found. But uh, without further ado, Bobby Dragon, welcome to Uncommon Deeds, and thank you for having us in your home. Well, Thanks for thanks for the opportunity. Uh, you know, I haven't uh, we haven't got together uh, in, in a long time, and uh, it's always fun to you know hash over some of the old stuff that we've done and the good times we've had. Yeah, you had a lot of them too. Yeah, um, <laughs> been a kind of surprise. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the, the the 145 number, and. I, I don't know if there's a, there's an actual figure out there, but that's about what I would have thrown a number out there as a guess uh, as far as possible wins over the years and so on. And uh, you know, some people say, "Oh, you you you, you got to be up over 200." I don't I don't think so. You know, we had a three year stretch back in the early uh, early to mid seventies where we won a bunch of races. And that was certainly the, the highlight of my career, I guess, uh, locally in, in this region and everything. But, uh, um, as far as, um, you know, a, a big number, yeah, we won a race here, we won a race there and so on, but that's, that's darn close to uh, what I would have thrown a number out there. So I, I'm, I, that one, that one surprised me. <laughs> I think people maybe don't realize how hard a hundred wins is. Oh, absolutely. Let alone 101. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, you, you mentioned that, um, I got a, in my trophy, trophy cabinet down there, uh, downstairs. Uh, well, a bunch of guys I worked with, I worked at IBM at the time and, uh, uh, a bunch of guys that uh, you know were following, certainly following the races, uh, real close friends of mine, and so on. Unknowing me, unknowingly to me, uh, they had uh, gotten together and raised the, uh, uh, well, gotten donations, and um, they they lugged the thing around for several weeks, uh, waiting for my hundredth win, and it came at Catamount. One, one night, and I've got a bunch of pictures, but it's a uh, hundred silver dollars uh, oh uh, that were uh, you know were presented to me in a in a big uh, uh, well uh, trophy format type of thing. It's probably one of my my most memorable keepsakes as far as uh, 
all of the all of the trophies that accumulated over the years. It's funny that I would assume everyone would guess that you just raced full time. We've talked to people that were able to do that, but you you were working the whole time. We talked to like Russ Ingerson, mm-hmm. who was probably the hardest working person I've ever talked to and made me feel very emasculated (laughs) by all the things he was and still doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So that was during a time you guys were racing multiple times a week and you're working full time. Yeah. Um, I I was, I I don't know how many times I'd um, peel off from, from work in in the early afternoon, Uh, you know, uh, my schedule uh, for the most part, it was like six in the morning till two thirty in the afternoon, and that got my eight hours in. And 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 like you like you mentioned, um, there was there was a point uh, for a short time where we raced five nights five nights or five races a week, and, yeah. and it started at San Air on the on the short track, the little track on Wednesday night, and then uh, Thursday night. I don't I don't at that time I. Not sure that it was Thunder Road. Um, I almost think I remember Catamount. Yeah, Catamount ran Thursdays for a while. Right, that's right. Yeah. And uh, you, you, I mentioned that to people. I say, no, no, Catamount never ran Thursday night. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure we ran Thursday nights at Catamount. But anyways, um, it was San Air Thursday, uh, Wednesday night, Catamount Thursday night, Friday night. Um, I won. probably Plattsburgh. Uh, well, I was going to say Saturday night at Plattsburgh, but uh, whichever, Plattsburgh, Thunder Road, and then, of course, Devil's Bowl on Sunday. Um, and, and we kept that pace up for, oh, I would say f- probably about four or five weeks. And uh, St. Air pulled the plug. They dropped by yeah. the wayside. Uh, Wednesday night just wasn't a, a good race night for fans. And so um, so we... we Finished the season racing four nights a week, but uh, during that 72, 73, 74 time frame or 71, 2, and 3, uh, we, we ran upwards of 70-plus races um, a season, and, you know, and that wasn't all points-counting races. We'd throw in uh, uh, an additional one here and there in Montreal on a, yep. on a Sunday afternoon that wasn't, you know, going to affect our schedule or and so we kept busy, you know, and uh, you, you mentioned that to guys nowadays. I don't know mm-hmm. how you do it. I mean, it's all keep a car running from one week to the next uh, on a, a one-track or two-track basis. But, uh, I mean, they didn't, cars didn't look all that good, but they, uh, <laughs> but they you know, got the job done, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun time. But we were young and just uh, ready to ready to do it and you know the competition whether they were from well uh, during that time frame we had you know had John Rosati and uh, Joey Crawford and a lot of the a lot of the guys from the Massachusetts Connecticut area you know Dave Dion uh, certainly showed up uh, a little bit later but was a big a big part of it and uh, of course then the Canadians as well um, and the guys from across the lake in Plattsburgh and and throughout New England, McCabe and the guys that came down from Maine, it was um, it was a great time. It was like an all star race every you know five times a week. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Go ahead and ask your question, Tom. That you always well, ask we usually everybody. start out with just how <laughs> motorsports came into your life. Well, um, 
I, I always go back to the the one thing that really surprised me uh, in, in a later point in time when I when I got to thinking about it. But um, my my dad and and mom were race fans, but you know didn't didn't go to um, you know a lot of races. wasn't a lot of local races. Uh, we we'd go to the we'd go to the fairgrounds and see the either the midgets or the big cars uh, mm-hmm. uh, during fair week and so on. And of course. Um, uh, Mallets Bay uh, had had opened up, and I don't know. I'm I'm going to say I was probably I can I can remember the, the the first time that I went to a race with my folks in Beaver uh, at um, Mallets Bay, and I was I, I was probably six or seven. Beaver was five years older than me, so he would have been up around eleven or twelve, something like that. But uh, it, it was it was a dirt track at that point. They should, they paved it shortly after that, I guess, uh, within like a couple of years. But um, Beaver um, Beaver got so excited or so nerved up uh, in watching those races that he he went he had to go back and sit in the car out in the parking lot. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, who who who, who uh, would ever believe that? Just I mean, the number of laps that. He has done himself over the years and races that he's won and so on. But as a kid, he just got so nervous and nerved up watching those watching those race cars. I, it obviously had an effect on him. But uh, to say to, for either one of us to say that at that point in time uh, we'd be doing it ourselves uh, at a later point, uh, I certainly wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have guessed it. But was uh, was he nervous that somebody would wreck and get hurt? Well, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm guessing that uh, you know it was a it was a, a nervousness kind of a situation where he was he was worried about what he was seeing uh, uh, to i mean uh, if it was nervous excitement i want to sit there and see more of it if it was me but didn't it certainly didn't affect me that way but uh, uh i always i always bring that one up and and he'll he, he remembers it you know uh, but uh, uh as far as as far as my start goes uh, in in racing beaver had been racing for Two or three years at that point in time, Catamount was in the was uh, was online coming. Out. I think Catamount had been in in operation maybe uh, one year. Uh, I was in high school, mm-hmm. like a lot of the guys in my generation. Uh, if you like cars, you, you hung out at a local garage, gas station combina- combination, or whatever. And through high school. Uh, I worked at uh, for John Bourgeois in in Milton, the Texaco station, mm-hmm. uh, right there on Route Seven. And through the summer months, I, you know, worked there, pump gas and so on. Beaver was uh, at that point in time was running Plattsburgh um, in uh, uh, well a hobby division car, which was uh, at that point in time was a was a '56 Ford that he was running for uh, George Blake in Georgia and. Uh, Ernie Price, a guy named Ernie Price, who was uh, uh, a guy that was stationed here in St. Albans at the radar station, he hung out at the garage. He he was a, a motorhead, big uh, Chevrolet fan. He he was from Pittsfield, Mass, and um, and loved loved racing. He'd been on a, he'd been helping out some friends of his that were racing at Lebanon Valley, and. Um, we I didn't know anything about Lebanon Valley, but uh, listened to him and 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll throw out the name Frankie Schneider. That was, wow. that was his, yeah. uh, his big, uh, you know, uh, the guy that he thought the most of certainly, but, um, I guess he was working, uh, on, on a hobby division car, uh, Lebanon Valley. But anyways, uh, he'd been helping Beaver out and, and so on in his travels. And, uh, but being a Chevy man, a, a Chevy fan, um, and, and I was, I was graduating from high school, uh, the, the following year. And he said, uh, are you, uh, would you be interested in, in driving, a, a car if, uh, if we built one, uh, he says, I, I think we can build a Chevy that'll beat that, bro- that Ford of your brother's. <laughs> and, uh, I said, sure. You know, I hadn't up at that point, I I'd been helping out Beaver and been go- had gone to the races with him help them in what I could, but uh, as far as doing any driving myself, it wasn't wasn't anything that I had really given a lot of thought to. But uh, anyways, uh, that's uh, that was uh, we built a we built a '55 Chevy little sedan uh, in the back room at the at the Texaco station through the through the winter months, and I'd gone to work. I'd graduated from high school, and the following year, which would have been 1965. Um, plan was to uh, start start racing at at Catamount, and uh, but anyways, uh, through the through the winter months, um, I was working at a company called Maltex down on Pine Street in Burlington, and I got laid off uh, in the middle of the winter. They build um, cereal, or they they make uh, cereal, Maltex cereal and maple, and uh, they were they were topped out and and had their winter's production done so they i got laid off and so i went over to gs blodgett's and put an application in but at the same time i also put in an application to ibm because uh, they were they were gearing up to uh uh you know build a big new fab uh, on site here in essex junction and uh like a lot of people uh, uh people thought yeah it's a good place to work so I put in an application there. I went to work. Uh, Blodges hired me, and I, I worked there for about two and a half, three months uh, through the winter months. And uh, IBM called me about coming in for an interview. Went in and talked to them, and uh, we came to an agreement. And uh, so um, I I left Blodges and went to work for IBM. But my first day at IBM they had me scheduled to go to Fishkill New York and work down in Fishkill New York learning this new process for the big new fab that they were building here in Essex and so I spent the summer uh, from from May until September uh, working in Fishkill New York so that pretty much uh, killed no, my no killed my you. racing uh, yeah. A debut as far as uh, we had the car built and uh, and it sat there all summer and uh, uh, when I got when I got back in September and I was back and forth through the through the summer months watch Beaver um, uh, I'm not sure I don't think it wasn't that year because uh, it was it was later oh when I guess I when I was in the guards and I was at on um, stationed at Fort Dix for basic training and so on that was the weekend that. Um, I had to leave uh, the racetrack to head back to Fort Dix and Beaver Beaver beat uh, the modifieds at at, uh, 
Academy yeah. with, with the sportsman coop, yeah. uh, and uh, that was a that was a a big one, and so on. But uh, but anyways, uh, came back uh, from Fishkill, settled in, and ran the last two races of the season at Catamount. Um, first race I finished, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess I was, you know, maybe somewhere out of the top 10, uh, which was okay. And the second the second race, um, I, I wrecked, uh, I think it was Lenny Stockwell, if I'm not mistaken, spun out over in one and two. I drove by him when he had spun out. Went all the way around the track, came back, and I hit him, ran into him on my next time by. The costume was out. Either. And so I felt pretty pretty stupid about that one. That but might be the answer to the question that I ask at the end of the show, which is what's the dumbest thing you've done in a race car? And uh, so that was, that was it for uh, that year until uh, two or three weeks later. We're talking September, late September time frame, and Ernie, Ernie was um, – um, said, uh, you interested in running on the dirt? And I said, I don't care. I'll give it a try. I don't have any experience in anything. So, uh, uh, so they were racing at Fairmount and, sure. um, in Fairhaven. That was when the old track was right there in uh, in Fairhaven. So we went down there and entered uh, in the hobby division and uh, uh, didn't didn't amount to a whole lot, but uh, I, can, I can say that I – uh, did race once on the old Fairmount track, which uh, um, soon later turned into Devil's Bowl up the road a ways. And, uh, it was uh, it was uh, quite an experience, and then and then it progressed from there. We uh, did before we did. You guys ever being from Milton play on the drag strip at all? Yeah, yeah. I did through my high school years a little bit. Beaver Beaver did quite a lot of drag racing. Uh, being older than I was and so on. He had a 57 Pontiac that he drove on the highway uh, all the time. And uh, he and some of his friends would go to Montreal on weekends. It was an abandoned airstrip up there on the outskirts of Montreal that uh, was drag racing uh, weekly. And uh, he ran ran up there with his his streetcar. It wasn't a situation where you you had a car built for it uh, other than you thought you had a pretty good car in the street, basically. And uh, through high school, I had a 1940 Ford, which was stock. It was something that uh, where I'd worked through the through the summer months and on nights and weekends uh, during high school. And uh, uh, it sat in the backyard. Uh, John had a towing service, and the state police had called him up to come and pick that car up. It was down in Jonesville, the side of the road. It wasn't. It had no plates on it. It was some guy from out of state that uh, was driving it up through Vermont where he was going with it. I don't know, but uh, that was it was a 1944 two-door sedan and in uh, pretty pretty nice shape, really. It was completely stock, and 1944 at that point in time uh, wasn't all that old. You think about it now, I wish mm. I still had it. Right. But, uh, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I drove that car. Um, I, I bought it from, from John. I, I asked him, I said, what are you going to do with that car? And he said, why are you interested in it? I, I just, I had a license. I'd gotten my driver's license, but I hadn't, I didn't have a car. And I said, uh, that Ford out there, that thing still runs, doesn't it? And he says, yeah. He said, uh, he said, I don't really own it. He said, but the guy never came back. And I mean, this was a couple of years later, I had sat out there and I, I'd started up and keep, make sure it ran and everything. But, uh, 
he said all I got to do is charge him a dollar a day for storage, and he says he won't he won't be wanting yeah. it. So yeah. I ended up with that car, drove it all through high school, and getting back to your drag racing. Uh, question. Um, I did drag race it. Uh, it was an 85 horsepower flathead Ford V8. And uh, so that put me in a real M, race car. M, M stock uh, was my, was my class. And I'd get my rear end kicked by, there was a guy out of, um, I want to say the Albany region uh, that came up here pretty regular and he had a little Corvair spider. It was, and, uh, and I couldn't beat him. Um, I, I think um, I think the best I could get was like around 80 miles an hour at the end of the straightaway, so or at the end of the quarter mile, and and he'd usually be out there far enough. There was one week where it was a, a trophy run because he didn't show up, and I was the only one in my class. But uh, Beaver won quite a few, quite a few. A trophies. win is a win. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and- are you and Beaver close growing up, or I know five years can be tough. Yeah. yeah um, well, I would say competitive, not really until actually when we both started competing against each other. Uh, I, I followed him uh, in in our younger days and so on, and uh, as far as hunting, fishing, one thing or another in that respect. Uh, uh, I, I got it all from him and, and my grandfather, our grandfather, uh, and so on. Um, as far as, as far as being close, uh, I guess we were, but like you say, five years is a, is a pretty big spread. And, and so he was certainly had a, a different group of friends than I did. I, I looked up to all of them. I thought they were all pretty cool, but, uh, uh, I was, uh, you know, with a different group in, in school and so on. So. My sister is five years older than me, and mm-hmm. I know there was that gap yep. right around when she became a teenager. Yep. Didn't necessarily yeah. want to hang out with the eight-year-old brother, or she's <laughs> 16, doesn't want to hang out with the 11-year-old brother. Yep. But then once we got older and I graduated from high school, then we mm-hmm. were able to get super close yep. after that. Yep. Oh, we've... Uh, uh, to this day, you know, I, I still think we're, we're probably still competitive. Our kids are, are both racing. Uh, well, Brent now is called quits, but, but our kids were both competing against one another and not, and not cutting each other any slack. And that's the way it was with Beaver and I when we were racing for the wins and the championships and one thing or another. Uh, he was he was as tough on me as he was Dick McCabe or anybody else, you know. So uh, that's 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 the way it should be, I guess. Did it ever get heated between you guys? Uh, there was there was one there, uh, yes, and, and 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 it was a different situation in that Beaver was was uh, during the late model years when he was he was involved with several area businessmen as far as uh they basically own the car paul robar uh was was basically the owner had a had a garage out by uh uh well bnm motors which is gone now but uh, uh and it was housed there and there were several area businessmen farmers that were friends of beaver the uh, age wise they were older than beaver and so on and so they were kind of they were kind of involved in it and and i was involved with our own group, well, John Kiefer, Frankie Woodard, and so on, in our in our early uh, years of late model sportsman racing, which or which 
phased into a late model sportsman division. Uh, basically, it started out as a tiger division and then kind of grew from there. But uh, um, we there there came a, I won't say a rivalry, but um, our success uh, as a, as a small group and and I was the lucky one that that had the opportunity to drive that. Uh, Allison, we, we were one of the first. wasn't the first. Hector Leclerc had the first uh, southern built chassis, so to speak. Uh, it was an Allison, Bobby Allison chassis, and uh, they 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 had some success with it. But um, um, we we decided that that was probably the, the way we needed to go. We had we had left Catamount. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the sixty nine season, I believe, um, and went to Devil's Bowl. Uh, it was over a dispute of a of a season ending race for our hobby division. At that point in time, um, Ken had seen the the light as far as uh, your your modified division and your sportsman division that were basically the headliners. And and we were a hobby division that was really gaining strength, and the and the crowds, um, the fans were relating more to the local guys in a in the smaller division right. than they were the guys coming in from Connecticut and Massachusetts and and New York and and so on. And so he he pulled the plug on 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 that division, uh, like in around probably sixty eight or so. Yeah. And uh, and started growing our our late model division division, and uh, so it progressed from there. And uh, it, actually, this hundred lap race, which was a season ending race at Catamount um, for our division, was the first extra distance race that we'd we'd ever run in a for basically a hobby division. And it paid it paid five hundred bucks to win, which was big big money. And uh, so, um, and we had we had gotten together earlier in the season. I should say, you and me in the season. Kiefer, uh, Frankie, they they oh, were oh, they oh. were drag racers. Um, uh, if if you're familiar with. Uh, the Vermonster drag, hmm. dragster. Well, that was John Kiefer and Frankie's. Uh, Frankie drove it, and so on. But a mutual friend of ours. They worked at GE. They were young technicians at, at, at GE, and uh, they were they were smart. And uh, they um, a, a mutual friend of mine that worked with them um, said, "You you need an engine to compete because we were getting our." Butts kicked by Larry Demar on a on a weekly basis. Uh, uh, so at out uh, I wasn't racing Thunder Road maybe that much, but I mean he was pretty. He was much, doing it there too. Pretty much dominating Thunder Road. I, I mean I, I recall one Milk Bowl where he he swept it. He won all three segments and so on. But anyway, it, it, he was running a a three twelve Ford, um, and we were running a uh, a two eighty three. Uh, and uh, it was basically a stock junkyard engine, and so on. And Marcel Burson was was the guy, and he said, "You you need a, a better engine." He said, uh, you, "You'll be able to at least be more competitive with a with a better engine." And he said, uh, "I know Kiefer 
would probably build you an engine if if uh, if you want to talk to him. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'd like to talk. And so John came to a race. I mean, he he hadn't been to any of the stock car races at all at Catamount. He'd been a, a drag racer. And uh, he said, uh, I'll, I'll build you an engine for... Or just what it cost me, if you're if you're interested. And I said, okay, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll do that. And uh, it was it was mid season at that point in time. And uh, um, so a couple of weeks down the road, he had an he had an engine put together by the what we were allowed. I think we were allowed a a, a thirty over a sixty over two eighty three, which would put you up around two and two ninety two cubic inches. Still short of the three twelve Fords, which seemed to have a lot of horsepower. And Catamount really to some degree you could use some some horsepower. I mean it was a handling track, more but so it was Thunder Road. But it yeah, more so than Thunder Road, no question. Yeah. And uh so uh first night out with that engine in there and Larry DeMars chasing me instead of me chasing him and uh uh, we were we were on our way to winning it, and uh, late late in the in the race, and it, I think it was probably a twenty five or thirty lap race, something like that. But anyway, started smoking, and so I I pulled it in, and John said, "I said I think we might have burned a piston. Probably ran it a little bit too lean." He said, "Don't worry about it. We'll I'll get it out of there. We'll 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 get it taken care of, and we'll get it back." And he said, uh, "You'll you'll be fine." And a couple of weeks, we got it. We got it back in there, and and we started winning a few races, and uh, so that kind of led up into the the final the final race of the season at, at Catamount, um, and it was a hundred lapper, something that none of us, Tom Taylor, Clem Despo, I mean Lenny Stockwell, all of the guys that I'd been racing, Art Taylor from Swanton, uh, he was another Ford. Everybody thought, boy, 100 laps is going to be something. And uh, so they, uh, it, for the first time, I said, well, um, not that a pit stop would be involved because you didn't need gas, you didn't need tires or whatever. We were good for, for 100 laps, but they were going to allow us to pit on the infield, uh, which was a first for us. Um, and uh, so um, they flagged us off, and I I got to the front and uh, was leading it, um, boiled down to the the closing laps, and I was I was leading. Tom Tiller was running second, and Despo was third, and I had probably I don't know ten ten car link, uh, half a straightaway advantage uh, uh, going into the the closing laps. Came by, got the white flag, and. Um, Made the made the final lap around. As we came by, came back by to cross the start finish line. I'm giving the guys on the infield. Of course, they're all there cheering. I'm giving them the, we did it, the first big long distance race for us, and we won it. I wasn't even looking at the flag stand. So I I slowed down going down into turn one. Next thing I know, Tom goes flying by. And and I'm still just kind of coasting through one and two, uh, heading out onto the backstretch. Despo goes by, and I'm watching them come around. And as they come around, I picked up speed at that point. I didn't know what why they were still racing. We'd just taken the, the checkered flag, or at least I thought we'd thought. taken the checkered flag. And uh, um, so I came across third, but a, a half a lap in the distance, uh, a third place or whatever, and uh, I 
course, came down onto the infield, and John was walking out toward toward me, uh, and, and he was livid. And he said, you know what they did? And I said, no. Oh, I said, we won the race, didn't we? And he said, they threw two white flags. And I said, huh. that wasn't the checkers. And, and, and like I said. Because you weren't looking. I wasn't looking. <laughs> I was I was looking at them on the infield saying, we did it, you know, 500 bucks and, and the season-ending race. And, and, and that race progressively ended up into the, the New England 300, which was the season-ending sure. race for all of the divisions as time went on. But uh, anyways, um, they came down on the infield, and of course they're they're down on talking to Tom. And as as Ken walked by, who he he'd come down onto the infield from the tower and so on, and he said, "Don't worry about it." He said, "We made a mistake, and you know you'll you'll get your you'll get your money." So that kind of that kind of calm. Calmed us to some degree, but we weren't going to get the glory of having won the race, supposedly. Yeah. But anyways, I haven't told this story to a, a, a lot of people. But anyways, uh, uh, as as the the off season progressed, um, um, and we were not getting the additional money that we thought we had coming, um, um, we started talking amongst ourselves and saying, "Yeah, we don't have to." race at Catamount. There's other places that we can race uh, if uh, that's what it's going to take. Don't like to start your career off uh, on these terms, but uh, uh, anyways, um, so we we looked into Norwood Arena was was racing a similar division at that point in time. Dave Dion was racing there on a weekly basis and so on. Looked into looked into into, uh, the the payoff and so on, and uh, uh, I don't know. Somehow, Ken Ken got wind of of the fact that we were looking around to maybe you know, go to Norwood, and uh, he. I, I've got a letter, still got it. That he said uh, the purse structure at uh, at Norwood doesn't compare to the Catamount purse structure as far as a pay a, we- a weekly payoffs goes. Uh, our championships pay considerably more yeah. and so on and, and trying to trying to say you guys ought to stay here and race and uh that through the through the winter months we decided well we can we can take that 50 it was a 57 chevy that we were running at that point and let's go let's go race on the dirt at devil's bowl and we did so we went down there and raced with Barry Purdy and I mean some of the best of the best uh, that uh, had he lived he'd have probably been um, one of the superstars but uh, Johnny Peoples I mean we had a great time racing on the dirt and as the season progressed I won a, won a couple times on on the dirt had, had a great time some nights the track was as as smooth as a stable some nights it was rutted so bad that uh, you were wondering if the car was going to stay together but had a great time all season long and and the car held up and we didn't we at, at that point we uh, season ending we kind of Started looking toward uh, Plattsburgh was running a modified division. We had no experience in modified, so looked into that and uh, through the winter months and decided, uh, uh, well, uh, maybe maybe we don't maybe we'll race over there uh, with a modified. And we bought a Bill Wilson down in Middletown, uh, New York. One of the big names uh, had a car for sale at the season end. It was a big block for. 
454 with a fuel injection and everything in it. And, of course, it was a dirt car, and we were going to race on asphalt at Plattsburgh. But uh, anyways, um, we decided uh, we'd buy it, and uh, we bought the car, got it, got it set up for asphalt as best we could. We had to run a carburetor, kind of take the fuel injection off it and so on. But um, Kiefer, you know, did all that and went over there and ran against uh, the likes of some of the best of the best. Danny Giroux was, was yeah. there off and on uh, on a on a weekly basis and Guichard train and, I mean, the Hemi Cuda. I mean, some of the yeah. the best names in modified racing at that point in time were we're stopping there. Richie showed up a couple times in his early years, and so on, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Never never won a race, but uh, we had we had a great time. Um, and then at a uh, we ran that car a couple times uh, at Catamount. When, that was when the All Star League yeah. was racing at Catamount, and they show up uh, on a yearly basis and. Uh, so uh, we we ran there um, at that point in time. I think we were running a four twenty seven in it because we'd blown up the the big block or the. Uh, it was a it was a uh, a division that we certainly were outclassed in, but yet we we learned a lot and so on. And it it boiled down to the point: uh, can we keep driving by Catamount to go race somewhere else? And so at the end of the at the end of the that second season with that with that modified, we decided well uh, they were you know the the late models were starting to become more prominent here and and so on. So that was when we got our got our group of guys together. There was five of us, and we all chipped in, went to the bank, and uh, saw about getting a loan to to buy a chassis. And uh, that's that's where we ended up uh, buying a, an Allison chassis from his little home shop in Hueytown. Went down, picked it up, and well, helped finish it up enough to get it loaded in a a U-Haul trailer. It, it didn't. Uh, it was just a, a rolling chassis with no roll cage even on it, and so on. we really, yeah, you know, we bought it. Uh, we bought it uh, minus that and brought it home and, uh, and uh, welded up down a Kiefer's. Uh, shop in uh in officer's lane and uh went racing with it with a 64 chevelle body style and uh, that was that was the car that we had so much success with uh over that course of time and and there again um frankie and john like i said they were they were young engineers at at ge and uh, they were constantly looking at at the suspension and the thing, and and saying, "She's, I think we can, I think we can make some improvements on this." And I said, "And and so I'm going to call Bobby Allison and see what he thinks." Run it by Bobby, and and they talk with Bobby, and Bobby'd say, "Geez, makes makes good sense to me. Try it. Let me know how it works." You know, he was driving for Junior Johnson yeah. at that point in time, the the Coke Monte Carlo. When we when we went down to pick it up in in Hueytown, at his uh, little shop, they were up in Rockingham that weekend, and uh, so we picked the car up. I don't know. I guess it was a it was a Saturday Saturday. Got it. I, I had a a U-Haul trailer that uh, we rented down there and uh, behind my car, and uh, 
loaded in them back into that. Couldn't close the doors on the trailer. It was it hung out in the back of it. And uh, they were up in uh, the, the the Grand National guys, which were known as Grand Nationals at that point. Um, they were up in Rockingham that weekend. Bobby was on the pole with, with Junior's uh, Coke machine. So uh, we thought, well, you know, if we time it right and we can get back up through there enough, we might just be able to see that race. None of us had ever been to a, a big track at that point in time. And uh, so we pulled – we might have gotten there Friday uh, and maybe headed out on Saturday. But anyway, we pulled into Rockingham um, on Sunday morning before anything was going on. The parking lot was pretty pretty vacant and uh, – um, but there was some cars out on on the track, so we packed in. We said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna take this take in this race," and we backed the backed the trailer up against a tree so nobody would steal our our chassis out of the back of our trailer, and we went in and bought tickets and went in, and and there was virtually nobody there at that point in time. It was it was mid morning, and we stood on the front straightaway and. Richard Petty came by us down that front straightaway at that one-mile trial. It's the first time we'd been to a, a big speedway. And, I mean, we were just in awe. We couldn't believe what we were what we were seeing and uh, the speed that those cars were, were turning. It was, it was incredible. Bobby was on the pole. Back then, they had the option of running Firestones or Goodyear's. And I've asked Bobby this question since then um, uh, in later times. And uh, the um, situation was is in, the, in the papers was that he was going to uh, – he he'd set fast time on, I don't know, either Goodyear's or Firestones, but they had decided that they wanted to go to the other brand – for the race, so consequently, they were going to have to go to the rear of the field um, because they were changing tire brand. Anyway, uh, Bobby marched right up through the field with that with that number twelve Monte Carlo and went right to the front and was, you know, was starting to drive away and and blew up, and so that was the end of his day. But um, in talking to him later, uh, later many years later, he was at a get together over in the islands here that I got invited to and I wanted to uh, I wanted to question him regarding uh, that switching of tires that day and going to the rear and he said well he said uh, that's not really exactly the the way it was he said uh, he said what what had happened uh, Jake Elder who was a screw chase uh, suitcase, suitcase Jake, Jake. and uh, he said um, we got caught with left side tires on the right after after qualifying, and he said so. We had to go to the rear, and so the story was put out that it, we were changing brands of tires, and that's why we were going to the rear. So, so that was that was the real story. But it was uh, it was uh, kind of interesting. Kind of, he was laughing about it, but uh, uh, that 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 kind of thing did take place from time to time if they weren't uh, monitoring them fairly close. So uh, this is 1972. Right. Uh, 71 or two. I, I'm not yeah. exactly sure. And, yep. and um, you guys came north with that with that car, and, I mean, it, was just, it wasn't even fair. 
Well, uh, uh, my it, records, I've got 22 wins that I found for you that year. I was going to say, I, I, there seemed like, if I remember right, over the course of uh, where, wherever we went with it, uh, there was one year where we won like 27 main events. We won like, like you say, 22 another. It was, it was in the 65, 70 uh, win range over the course of a three, short, three year short period. Time, yeah. yeah, right. Um, yeah, we, you know, and uh, like I said, the car, the car handled so, so well, or, or uh, my guys, uh, you know, uh, were, were so good at, at setting the car up. We, you know, they, they changed springs in it uh, from track to track. Uh, of course, gear ratios and everything were varied from one race track to another, but it still was, was that stable and that, that uh, consistent that we were able to, I was able to, uh, quite often go to the outside and, and, you know, not have to, uh, root and gouge on the bottom. Uh, I was just able to go to the outside and, and go forward. And it was, uh, it was, you know, that easy. Well, so in 72, you win the milk bowl. What's that win mean? And what it was your impressions of the milk bowl? Well, I'll be truthful with you, you know, so, uh, some of the races that, get tossed out to me uh if frankie was here i mean he could he could he could give you every everything that happened on every lap of every race we ever went to but in a lot of cases i don't remember a whole lot about anyone i was just out there uh turning the steering wheel but uh as far as the milk bowl goes prior to winning that one we had a couple of them in the bag or at least we thought we did that uh went went south in a hurry uh uh that we should have should have been the the winner and and ran it I, one of them we'd won well either the first two segments or finished first and second in the first two segments and um i collected gardner levitt on the back stretch on the third segment when i was going while i was near the front or all i had to do was finish the race and that one was was going. He was he he was having issues and and uh, went from the low lane to the high lane on the back stretch to to so he could get in line to to head for the pits and I ran flat into the back of him as he came up across and that took us out uh, and that race was going to be won but we we did manage to win a milk bowl and and so that was uh, certainly for the season that was our you know our crown. Crown jewel, I guess you'd have to say. Yeah. You would won a couple at uh, big, big races at St. Croix that year, too. Yeah, there's a story behind. If it's that year, it's, it's probably, it might very well be that that particular one where uh, St. Croix wasn't wasn't part of the, of the series championship as far as points go. Uh, Cabana had talked with, us, um, Ronnie Barkham, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, three or four guys from here, Johnny Rosati, sure. um, and, and himself, Cabana himself. And he said, uh, he, he was helping the promoter at St. Croix, uh, run this Sunday race. I believe it was a, at least a 200 lot, 300, 300. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, he said, if you'll come, we'll guarantee you, uh, uh, a plane ride to Devil's Bowl. Devil's Bowl was racing that night. night. Sure. And, uh, I know and where you're we, going with the story. I didn't we, think about this. Yeah. We were in the championship. We were leading the championship at that point in time. So that meant 
we all had to we all had to come up with a with a, a backup car or a car to drive uh, because there's no way you're going to make it from Quebec or well Three Rivers to Devil's Bowl in time to qualify and and run that race. So I, I, I end, make a long story short, uh, I ended up winning the St. Croix race. It was a two segment race. I think it was like you said, if you say it was a 300, I think you're right. Uh, it was a 300. Uh, first lap, Ronnie um, Barkham and I were on the front row. And uh, as we got down into turn three uh, on the on the opening lap, and he forgot to turn left as he entered turn three, and I'm on the outside, and luckily the road course goes right off the turn three and starts up through the hill, and I was able to go straight because I wasn't I had no room to turn left and stay on the stay on the track. That's and a fast. So I fast went up. Part of the I managed track. to get it stopped. I turned around, came back, and I'm almost at the tail end of the. Well, I'm at the tail end of the field, and the leaders are coming. Uh, him again. And I raced my way all the way back through the field and won that segment, and then we ended up winning the second second segment as well. We won we won the overall. It was a big it was a big deal race for us, um, and they had a good crowd and so on. And um, we didn't even do any. Uh, I've got a picture of my wife and and all of the guys in front of our bus. Our, transporter uh, holding holding the trophy and i'm nowhere in sight well cabana and his guy had gathered us up and got us right up on top of the hill uh, above the track uh, to an open field and he said uh, we've got a plane that's coming in that's going to pick us up out here uh, in the field and get us to devil's well still Oh, I'd say mid-afternoon, probably, I don't know, probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon by then, something like that. But anyways, uh, sure enough, here comes a plane, small plane, and uh, we're watching him, and he makes a pass over, makes a swing around, comes back by, and he wiggles his wings. And uh, Cabana's guy said, he's not going to land here. He don't like the looks of this field basically what it was it was a big enough plane to, to well like i said there was cabana his guy ronnie uh, myself johnny rosati uh, but anyways so a lot of people for a small plane it was <laughs> exactly and uh, we uh he said we're, we've got to go to quebec city we're going to have to go up to quebec city and and meet him there, and we'll go from there. So we did. We drove to Quebec City, and, and at that point, it was probably three-quarters of an hour ride to, to get up to the airport or maybe an hour. I don't really remember that, that much. But anyways, we, we loaded up, came down through, had to clear customs at in Burlington. Uh, so we had to land in Burlington. Now it's starting to get quite late. And, and it's getting, well, it is getting dark. And uh, our intent was to, to land in Rutland and go over to the track from Rutland. And uh, en route, they're saying, Rutland don't have any runway lights. We're going to have to go to Albany. So, <laughs> so we ended up going to Albany, rented a, rented a car, and back we came. And as we're pulling in the Devil's Bowl, cars are pulling out, leaving. We, we got there. I mean, we just missed the show. And I had made, I say I, we had made arrangements with 
Robbie and C.A. Crouch. At that point, Robbie was up here from Tampa and had spent had spent the uh, oh the last year or or two with their little Chevelle and you know with limited amount of success and so on racing with us and so on. So we we had struck a deal. We'll we'll buy four tires if if Bobby can drive drive your car for the points uh, for the for the championship, uh, for the series championship. And uh, Johnny Rosati had a backup car. He had two Ford Fairlanes. Um, I want to say, I want to say Richie Panch probably was going to qualify his car at Devil's Bowl. There, there was two or three combinations there that Cabana had struck a deal with somebody to drive somebody else's car. But anyway, none of us drove anything. And, Robbie won his first race ever um, on our tires. tires. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But we went on to win the championship uh, uh, as the season progressed, so it it worked out okay. But that was uh, that was one I'll never forget. A long a long day, but it was a it was a successful day uh, in you know in one in one way as far as winning up in St. Croix goes. And I, and I was, we were glad for Robbie that uh, they were, and 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 it probably woke a, a sleeping giant, as they yeah. say, because uh, he ran really well as as time went on and was the guy to be without a question. Uh, it continued on and on and on, um, and the next year you actually did do a double and won. I don't know if you yeah or, yeah San yeah. Air, uh, which is much closer. <laughs> no, it wasn't San Air. Uh, well, I I've got Dur- San Air and, and Airborne. August twenty uh, sixth. We did a, we did a double in uh, from Dermontaine one time. Sure. Um, I'm talking about you won both of these shows. Oh, too. won won yeah. both. Well, okay, yeah, uh, should have won should have won both that day. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that was the start of um, our radios being used okay. because it was a hundred lap race at Duramontane, a hundred, at least a hundred, maybe it was 200. I don't, I don't really remember, but anyways, um, uh, again, everybody was, uh, pitting on the infield and, um, Duramontane is a, a little, well, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to remember it as maybe something like in a, possibly a third mile. I don't know, but and as flat as this kitchen flat. Table. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anyways, um, uh, uh, I, pretty much led led the whole thing and I, I had pretty much a straightaway lead uh, over John Rosati who was running second that day and th- like you say there was a there was a race in Devil's Bowl that night and we could get from Montreal to Devil's Bowl and and at least make a make it to the Conce or something but anyways um all day long I hadn't seen Cabana and I mean generally he's he's going to be the you know uh He's going to be competitive and so on. Hadn't seen him all day long uh, out there and on restarts, one thing or another, missed him. But anyways, with probably 25 to go, and like I said, I had a straightaway lead over John Rosati, and now all of a sudden I can see Kamana coming and in the mirror. And uh, I said, well, uh, here we go. And uh, so as as the laps wound down, I mean, we were getting, we were getting down to the to – the, the end, more or less, uh, probably wasn't more than ten laps to go or or less, 
and I'm picking up the pace because he's he's running me down and running me down fast, and uh, I I don't know the difference. Um, but anyways, uh, coming off turn four, uh, I ended up smacking the fence just hard enough that uh, uh, that that was the end of us, and uh, so. I ended up, as it turns out, Cabana had been sitting on the infield for about 80 laps uh, with with some kind of ignition problems, uh. carburetor problems, uh, right from right from the start of the race, and that's why I hadn't seen him all day. And of course, he had fresh tires and or fresher tires, and he was out there just trying to you know put on a show for his fans, and 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 that cost us. Uh, they're they're trying to you know give me signals. I'm not probably paying attention enough i'm just on you know intent on getting to the checkers uh ahead of him and i skated it right into the into the fence and about knocked the right front corner in and beaver was with us and uh he was driving he was driving the driving the bus that he wasn't racing and uh so loaded the car up and got it in the bus and we headed for devil's bowl and got it down there got it on a on a pad and had to change the front spindle was all bent and uh, probably a frames I can't remember but anyway they replaced uh, what was needed. Uh, luckily we had parts enough to rebuild it and get it going. We ended up going out and winning winning that one that night. So that that kind of helped. But uh, the one that got away from us in Montreal that's what started our saying we've got to have some kind of communication other than a a blackboard or, or hand signals or something like that. And so we started uh, working on uh, the old handheld CB and CB radios that uh, um, were in use at that point in time. That was pretty much before an FM radios really even existed. And uh, so it was pretty marginal, but we, we kept working on it and advanced it and finally got, uh, I don't know that we were the first to, uh, think of the idea, but we were we we were the first to kind of try it here. I remember Ronnie Ronnie went to one. Uh, he had a great big box that he had in the back seat of his car there that was part of the part of the tubes uh, involved in as far as uh, uh, an FM type of uh, radio, which you you know you you didn't know who you'd be talking to yeah. uh, sometimes because there was interference and so on, but. Finally got it so that uh, it was it was usable and certainly in the longer races. But that was uh, one I'll always always remember, one that got away from us. Yeah. You uh, you mentioned your wife a little while ago. How important is she during all these racing adventures for you? Well, she she certainly was was a supporter. Um, uh, at that point in time, um, we were, you know. We were all raising, say, raising young young families and so on. So, uh, you know, she didn't attend all the races. Uh, she was spending more time with the kids while I was on the road uh, on on weekends here and there and everywhere. But uh, uh, she has been a certainly been a, a a staunch supporter for everything that we've done over the years, and we had some some fun times it seems like the the devil's bowl sunday night return from devil's bowl was always a big party for for the group on on the bus uh you know the wives would tend to 
all join in for that one and and we had some some great times it was it was a lot of fun and uh and in the oxford 250 weekend uh, the the oxford 250 was certainly the the one big race that uh we were looking at from the start of the season here until midsummer july when the oxford 250 would roll around that's the one that we were trying to get geared up for and and have a shot at and uh and so that was uh that was always our focus uh, we we'd run the we'd we'd head from uh thunder road on a on a sunday afternoon to try and get over to oxford for a 100 lap getty open uh on Sunday night over there, might get there in time to run the Concy and qualify. Uh, but back then, you had to qualify. It wasn't like everybody yeah. just started the feature. And uh, but we we won a few of those. And but the the two fifty was probably the the one big big race that uh, we never managed to to win. And had a couple of them going our way uh hands down and something happened and and so that kind of took it away we had some had some good runs as far as finishing top five several times and it was good money i mean back then uh uh, well i don't know where we finished one race but you know i led i led the i think nearly the first hundred laps uh, started on the pole and a hundred bucks a lap uh that money uh, adds up in a hurry. I think we went home with twelve or thirteen thousand dollars, and and finished twelfth or thirteenth in, in the end. That's know, not so, bad. No, it wasn't a bad day. <laughs> if you're gonna lose, that's how you lose. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> I yeah. wanted to ask you about those open comp shows back in the in the seventies and eighties. I mean, you won a bunch of them uh, up at a Oxford. Few. Well, a few. your yeah. fair share for yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess. But yeah. there was some wild stuff up there, and you know, Bob Bear was just as crazy as ever yep. you know people think tom curley was a promoter and he was but bob bear yep. i mean he was out there yep. uh was that just what was what was that like stepping in there for the first time well um bob and you and you know bob how rough and gruff bob was but he was a a genuine good guy yep. and and he he was a racer and of course dick his brother i mean uh, they were they were into it and and it was it was always it was always fun to 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 go over there and 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 at that time uh, bob and curly were were at odds oh, yeah. i mean i mean and and so so bob was quite often quizzing you a little bit about what's going on over there one thing or another and uh, um i i remember john making a mistake one night i forgot what i forgot what the deal was but um it was it was a situation where we i don't know if we rain, if we rained out whatever but anyway when we returned to rerun the show it, it, it cost us more money as far as entry and john made the mistake bob was in the ticket booth and uh, john john said geez that's something curly would do and that, well, that was the wrong thing to say to Bob Bear. Oh, I want to tell you, he went up one side of John and down the other, and John never said a word. He knew he had uh, spoken out of out of turn, and and that was a. I mean, Bob always was was good with us, and and the people that uh, worked there. Um, we we had a great we had a great rapport with with all of all of the people at Oxford. One of my favorite racetracks, actually. Uh, it was a it was a type of racetrack that um, 
if you had a if you had a car that was capable of getting to the front, you, there was always there was always a, a lane. I mean, it might be three wide. Uh, you might be out on the edge of the edge of the the wall uh, on the front straightaway or whatever to get it done. But uh, you you could get it there, and uh, it was uh, a great place. Uh, one one race, one hundred. Well, it was a hundred hundred fifty lap race. But anyway, Don beat him, and we had a bunch of fun with him because when he when he would show up you you remember don it was usually him and i'm trying to remember his partner but usually a one-man show when don would show up here and race and he'd come out to the shop and might change a might change an engine while we're gone off doing something or whatever he'd he'd come to your shop he'd come up to our shop and and work on on the weekend yeah he'd 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 split off from well, uh, you know, uh, an ASA race. He had that little that little blue Nova uh, that I believe he won the Oxford two hundred and fifty with over there. But uh, but anyways, uh, he was he was but he was just a fun guy to listen to. Probably the only guy in the world that could walk into Ed Howe's shop and 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 do anything he wanted to do. He yeah. and Ed he and Ed Howe were were you know real close, and uh, he being from Ontario and Ed in Michigan, but. Um, all your ASA guys were were tuned into Ed Howe's stuff at that point in time, and like I say, we we saw the best of the best in the country for all of those Oxford two fifties. I mean, uh, Ed Howe Junior, um, Junior Hanley, and and Rusty Frank, Wallace, Frankie Fraser would come Martin, over. Martin, and I mean the list went on and on. I mean of of your ASA kind of guys. Yeah. I mean, in later years, you had your your Bush Grand National group. Uh, which was another another group of real strong runners, but I would put that uh, uh, ASA group as far as uh, being competitive goes. Those were the Mark Malkiewicz and uh, mm-hmm. Chase. They were they were just great, and, and we, we you know well we were able to compete with them uh, generally uh, for the two fifty. So with those with those open shows, especially in the eighties, with the guys that you're talking about, you would have. You know, Tommy Houston would come up with a Bush car, mm-hmm. and you'd have Robbie Crouch in a plastic ACT car. Mm-hmm. And you'd have yourself and Jamie Obi in a Bush North car, which is different than a Bush South car. Right. And then you'd have Oxford's Saturday Billy, night guys. Billy Clark yeah. and, and with those uh, weird yeah. looking fenders and hoods and stuff. Right. Yeah. And then you'd get Hanley show up with some wild creation or yeah. somebody from the Maritimes. Yeah. When you when you come in and you see five or six different types of race car that are going to be running on the track at the same time what's going through your head well you knew you were you knew you were going to be up against it i mean uh, we we ran against to some degree on a on a, the the regular getty opens against jeff stevens i mean some of the guys that were running camaros and so on that were they were certainly a notch ahead of us but they weren't that reliable to to be around at at the end of 100 laps or 150 laps and so that was that was our thing with Billy Clark, uh, Leland Kangas was another one. Uh, there, there was several guys that really had their act together as far as your 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 Oxford uh, open style car, and and they had tread width a bunch more than what we had, and so on. Uh, we probably had you know in in some cases uh, you know maybe an advantage from in other directions, but. Um, there was one race um, that 
uh, Stevie Hibbert was was involved with us, uh, you know, as a kid, and then it progressed. He was with us for quite a while as he as he got older, and then he, of course he went doing other things. But but um, we decided that uh, if we could change tires in one of those hundred and, and I think I think the this particular race might have been a hundred and fifty lapper. But anyway, Biederman Don was leading the race. We caught a caution just about right, uh, right around the hundred lap mark, and uh, there was a, uh, and we had made sure we got there early enough to get parked right next to the uh, gate, which uh, came on, on to turn three uh, uh, from the pit area onto the track. We brought some great big sheets of uh, cardboard with us. And we said, we're going to change tires. We kept it to ourselves. And nobody had been trying to change tires during the course of one of those 100-lap or 150-lap open races. Um, And we knew that it would be an advantage. And uh, anyways, I was running a a distant second behind um, Biederman, and and there was nothing I was going to do. And when that caution came out pretty timely, um, we had had it planned. You come in spin the car around and uh, we're going to have that cardboard set up and we're going to change right sides. They got it done. I got back out there before the pace car came by and I was able to uh, drop in at the rear and draw and Biederman, Biederman saw us coming out of the pits uh, and, and at a later point on the radio, they told him that we'd changed tires and, and he was upset. He was mad, but yet he said, uh, you guys, you guys had it right. I mean, you you figured it out what you needed to do and and did it. But he said it's like bolting on, uh, you know, half a second on yeah. on a on a car that's got you know hundred lap hundred laps on their tires, and it you know, like I said, it just drove to the front and away uh, and and won the race. And but uh, Don was he was mad, but yet he was. He, he was probably, a good friend, and and so. <laughs> he was probably pissed off that he didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, he didn't have a crew to do anything with it. Well. <laughs> it was usually just him, him and Ross were the two guys, and uh, uh, they were they were good. They were a lot of fun. We went up to Montreal. We went up to I'm trying to remember the. It was a little track up in way back, way up in Quebec one afternoon, and prior to going up there for this special, it was a little. One horse town, Shawinigan Sud South, uh, in French, uh, wherever that is. But it's way up, way up in toward Quebec City, and it's the it's the last time I've ever recall seeing um, actual river log drive. I mean, the, the river up there oh. was full of pulpwood, yeah. and uh, and so on. But it was a, it was a little racetrack, and uh, Claude uh, Claude Oben had struck a deal with us if you guys uh, are going to go up to that race would you agree to race a stop at Drummondville on your way back down through and run there we we could promote we could promote your on dirt, on dirt. Uh, if you would stop and and race uh, with us. We'll supply the, the the wheels and tires for your late models. We're going to have to run against the modifieds, you know. And uh, so we we didn't figure we'd have much chance. But anyway, this was a this was a, a Sunday, a Sunday night, and um, so we all stopped. 
and I was the only one of the of the group. Uh, I say we all stopped. Um, there was Biederman, myself. I think Cabana, Cabana did. There was, I think there was like four of us that had said, "Yeah, we'll we'll do it." And so um, we got there, and uh, the, the gr- there was a grader that had been grading the track, and uh, I don't know. I, they, they said that uh, the the water truck driver was drunk and had been watering the track all afternoon, and I mean it was just a quagmire, and and the grader had actually slid off the front straightaway down into the edge of the track, and it looked like they had to get a bulldozer to get that out and back up on the on the track. But anyways, um, we we weren't late in any means or other because the show was so late in getting <laughs> yeah, started. Right. And uh, we we started at the rear. I, I ended up finishing one or two positions ahead of a couple of guys in the Modifieds that you know, had problems, obviously, of some kind. But we took clay out of that car for I don't know how many weeks. Seemed like we were finding a cloud of clay here and there. Uh, but anyway, Biederman only ran a few laps, and he said, I've had enough of this. He changed his tires, loaded up, and got out of there and went back to Cayuga. There was an ASA race. It was Victoria Day on Monday, uh, a Canadian holiday anyway, and ASA was racing um, at Cayuga, and he ended up winning after after having been up in Quebec racing with us and being on the dirt at Drummondville. And he went to Cayuga the next day and won. It was some kind of a two segment race that he won, and he and he won uh, he won the overall. I believe he might have won both segments, but that was against Bob Seneca and I mean the best of the best in that in that series. And, and of course, you you probably know his history. With Junior, I mean, oh, were, yeah. oh, there was, there was uh, no love lost between the two of them. I heard the story of uh, of uh, Don and Junior tangling. I don't know if it was at Flamborough. It was one of the one of the Ontario tracks, asphalt tracks that uh, they both were at, and 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 neither one of them liked the other. But anyways, uh, Biederman came out on the losing end that night, um, and under caution. While they were getting his car pulled pulled back in, he ended up he was out on the track, and as Junior came by under caution, he jumped on Junior's hood and was trying to kick in the windshield on Junior's car. I think it was probably Lexan, but anyways, it, uh, the story goes he was Junior was zigzagging back and forth on the track, trying to shake, <laughs> trying to shake Don off off the hood of his car, and I don't know what came of it, but that was just kind of reminiscent. Anytime you ever mentioned Junior's name to Don, I mean he would uh, he would just kind of roll his eyes and 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 start talking about other things because he. Had no love at all for Junior. Well, we hope to talk to him at some point on the show. We're going to have to ask him. About <laughs> Is that, that. right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that he can re- he may- maybe reiterate. Uh, you know what I'm saying, but I, that's the story oh. that I had heard. Man. Yep. So in '85, Tom Curley and NASCAR North split. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that? Because you also had the lawsuit, right, over the carburetor. Over the carburetor deal. Yep. Um, well, uh, and, and there we go uh, again. I'm I'm not years are, are are kind of hard for me to say if I remember '85. 
Um, just mainly the split. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What led? Well, because um, it, it from everything that we've been able to understand, the LaJoy and Crouch deal was just the final straw. That, that was the final. You guys straw. had started exactly inadvertently, maybe, but you guys Mo, had started the. Mo had been talking to, uh, I believe it was Mo, Mo Brown, your car Mo Brown, owner. our car owner at that point in time, uh, had been talking with NASCAR about doing something up here for all of the basically the late model sportsman steel-bodied cars that we were running and of course tom was heading off with the with the pro stock plastic bodied uh yeah. version of cars and so on and uh he'd been talking with jim france and so on and uh at some point in time they nascar decided that uh yeah maybe we should be doing something up there you know in in competition with with what tom is is doing uh there's enough guys i mean there's enough talent on this nascar north series for it to split and both series still be still be uh you know in good shape and uh so naturally we were gonna stay put with with the what we had for equipment quite a few of the guys did some some went with the pro stock uh, situation, but that's uh, that's what started Bush North was like you say the uh, the final straw was when uh, NASCAR went with uh, Randy uh, as far as the points thing uh, uh, over uh, over Robbie and so on. Um, the final race at Catamount, we we had spent quite a little bit of time down south. Mo Mo had made the decision to. Uh, let's let's do some other do something else, and uh, so we uh, he said we'll, we'll we'll travel to some of the tracks down south and and see how we see how we can do fair uh, against you know different level of competition and so on. So uh, we did that. We we went to Rockingham. Well, went to geez, went Rockingham. Went to Charlotte. We went to IRP out in. Uh, Claremont, Indiana, uh, Langley, Hickory, South Boston, uh, ran both tracks, the old track, and we ran the very first race at the new track at Richmond. Of course, we had, pro- in the earlier years, we used to go to the the Dogwood and the and the, Martinsville uh, at Martinsville in the spring and the fall. Um, trying to think of some of the other tracks. Never, never really did run at Rockingham. We went to Rockingham and and rained out, and we didn't return for the for the next weekend. Uh, Dover, um, Darlington, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my better finishes was was at the Charlotte track, and I, and I would say that probably Charlotte was probably the fastest race track that um, that I've ever competed on. Uh, at Charlotte and uh, Mo Mo had issues that that weekend had some heart issues wasn't it with us and uh, we finished I think we finished ninth in that race uh, at Charlotte not a threat to you know win against any of those guys but it was a a great experience that that summer traveling uh, to all of those places uh, it was so much fun I mean uh, I remember I remember making my qualifying run at Darlington. And and at that point in time, you swung down onto the grass down on the infield off the back stretch, and you parked there while the next car uh, took time. And um, <clears throat> I was down on the 
I was down on the infield, and our time was back quite a ways, but, uh, you know, we were going to make the show. And uh, Jeff Gordon came out in uh, the baby Ruth car. Uh, he was running, of course, he was running the, the Bush series at that point in time. And uh, he he made a run, came down on the grass, and happened to park next next to me. And uh, he climbed out of the car, so I walked around to saying good good run jeff I, I think he was like second or third on the on the on the board at that point in time and he was mad he was livid i mean he he was mad because he wasn't on the pole and and it, I, I was always a jeff gordon fan in later years but that one really really caught me off guard because i mean he was that focused as far as uh you know not not being not being at the top of the board that day. Expectations. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and like I said, we we had the opportunity to race against you know the best of the best. I mean, we saw the best of the best in the country right here at Catamount over the course of time. Sure. And, and I and I will point a finger toward Butch Lindley and and Bob Presley and Benny Parsons came and. Uh, you know, we had we had quite a few uh, Bobby Allison game and and a lot of them, but uh, your your real sportsman guys were were Lindley Gant, Shepard, Bob, you know, um, L. D. Ottinger. I mean, uh, Bill Dennis. Uh, that week leading up to the Oxford Two Fifty, they would show up on Thursday night to race at Catamount. Catamount was racing Thursday nights at that point in time. And then they'd go on up to Oxford for the weekend at Oxford. We'd see the best of the best that would show up. Some of them would show up there, you know, uh, Tommy Ellis. Uh, Tommy Ellis wrecked pretty bad one, one I believe, at Catamount, and uh, he ended up going home. He didn't He didn't go to the 250, but uh, I remember his comment uh, uh, at for the Oxford 250 one year up there. I, I think he was, I don't know where he was starting. He wasn't on the front row, but he said, geez, I think they were starting 44 cars um, for the Oxford 250 on a third mile track. So he says, they don't, they don't start this many at Daytona. I think it's their 43 at Daytona. <laughs> you know? and, but I mean, it was funny. Well, some of our trips to Bristol when we, when we ran, uh, on some of the southern tracks, that was uh, that was a fun time. Um, I couldn't always get down there in time, and of course, we we were with those guys enough through the course of the of the summer, off and on, that they weren't looking us at us as as a Yankee. We were kind of one of them, you know, and so on, and and so they were they were real good. And of course, uh, at that point in time, uh, Dale Dale Senior and Daryl were running their sportsman cars at a lot of the companion shows that we were at, Bristol, well, Darlington, and so on. And quite often, they'd be over on our side of the track working on their sportsman cars just to get away from everybody that wanted a piece of their time over on the other side, over in the cup garage, basically, and so on. So we got to, we got to be, you know, you know, real friendly with with them. And Dale and I would. Uh, uh, we'd generally end up talking more deer hunting than we would racing. You know, he, he was, he was having, uh, you know, he, at that point in time, he, uh, was working on his, uh, well, food plots, whatever, uh, on his, on his layout there in North Carolina. And he would tell me what he had for um, bucks that were coming along and so on. So it was, it was, uh, it was always, uh, a fun, fun trip, uh, 
to race with those guys. But Tommy Houston, we loaned Tommy Houston a, a carburetor, 600 CFM carburetor, so he could race at, uh, race at Stafford Springs. Ran, mm. I think, a, a couple nights after the Oxford 250 once. And he didn't, and, and the rules mm. were uh, 600 CFM max carburetor. We loaned him a carburetor, and he went out and won the race on our carburetor. You know, he beat us and so on. But it was it, it was a fun a fun time. We had a we had a ball racing with those guys. Some of those overland trips to Indiana and so on. It was it was just a just a great time. Why not give a full season a chance? Uh, we, we weren't we weren't uh, as competitive enough as we needed to be to. Consider trying to trying to compete with those guys, and, and so we knew that you know it was a thing that Mo wanted to wanted to try, and we got to we got to try it, and and got to a lot of the, the tracks that we otherwise never would have never would have run on, and uh, so that was. I'm I'm so. surprised to hear you say that because your records are pretty good with the yeah. Bush Series. Yeah, well, lots of top tens in, in yeah, limited amount of starts. Well, uh, that that final race, that final race at Catamount, the day that Beaver crashed so hard, uh-huh. we were scheduled. I was scheduled to drive his backup car on Sunday. We were we were in Dover uh, with a with a v, with a V6 car, and majority of the guys had gone back to V8s at that point in time, uh, in in the Bush South series. And uh, the V6 was still an option, and we had a V6 that we thought, well, it'd probably it'd probably be good enough. And uh, as it turns out, Beaver trashed his primary car on Saturday and ran a bad accident and needed his backup car anyway. We rained out on Saturday, so we had to stay till Monday to to run the race at Dover. And they rescheduled it for Monday, the Sportsman race, and. I ended up finishing fifth in, in that race, I believe, and uh, so that was that was pretty good for us, you know. But uh, um, yeah, we were we were top top ten, fifteen number of times, but uh, not as good as I'd like to have been. I uh, ran Darlington a couple times, and uh, first time there got the the famous Darlington stripe flattened mm-hmm. the whole side of the. The whole side of the car pretty much took us out of the race. The second time we went down there, uh, I was a little more careful and got up, got up the running up against the wall, but uh, kept it off the wall, and uh, we we had a decent finish, I guess you'd have to say. Um, talking about Dover, I want to ask you about the crash mm-hmm. in I think '82 or something. Maybe it was my, maybe the first year that first year Curly we went. brought NASCAR North there. That's right. Yeah. No, we uh, Mo had uh, had purchased. The ex Pizza Galley car, which was Mike Berry's uh, ride, and uh, they had they had built a, or bought a new chassis late on in the season. That car had been around for two or three years. It was a Zervakis car that he had been running, <clears throat> and uh, so Mo wanted to upgrade some of our stuff, and so he bought that from uh, Ramo. And that was the car that we uh, set up to go to go to Dover with, and uh, the car was good. The car was fast, but it, the car was strong, and I guess that was probably the, the most important thing overall. We were fast, but uh, got down a lap, I guess, if I'm if I'm remembering right. For some reason, I don't know if it was a tire issue or whatever. 
coming back up through, and I got behind. I was behind Dick McCabe. I was chasing Dick McCabe, and I probably was going to you know, continue to go to the front. But anyway, coming up, coming up off from the last fourth turn, um, track kind of transitions a little bit, and the car will get a little bit light there, and it and it broke loose and down, and I nailed. I went down and hit the the pit wall, and that was long before they had any kind of Hans devices or whatever. Um, I had a the, the typical strap around your around your shoulder that tied to the side of your helmet on the left side, and that probably kept my head on my shoulders uh, because the car was destroyed. Didn't break okay. didn't break through the wall, but it was at the time it was one of the one of the worst ones that had been crashed there and. And I mean, uh, they they played that replay on Diamond P Sports for ten years, right? Well, I knew it made one of their one of their tapes, uh, uh, Brock Gates or whatever. Yeah, Steve Evans, that, yeah, you know, you know, and, I, and I, I've seen it and so on. To this day, I'm I'm sure my my neck issues of probably arthritis in my neck. We we sat there the next day. Um, watching the cup race and up in the stands and I couldn't I couldn't turn my head one way or another without moving my whole body because of my neck uh, Alvin Fadden uh, was in his dad's pit and I hit right in front of their pit stall uh, the outside wall or the inside wall of separating the, the track from the pits and he says I swear he said your head, went that far, you know, when, when you hit that wall. And, uh, I mean, the car was, a, was, th- was a throwaway. I mean, it was gone one race and, and it was junk. And, uh, so, um, I luckily, luckily to drive it away. Kevin LePage brought it home on his open trailer. We couldn't, we couldn't even get it in our, our bus. We, we had his car in our, in our rig to come home with, but, uh, had some had some good runs after that, and that was in the asphalt days. And I, I never was comfortable on that track. Uh, in later days, when it, when it was uh, uh, concreted, uh, they they lost that lower lower lane that they had with the asphalt. And um, I was always pretty comfortable dropping down into that lower lane pretty much through the corners and and it was no longer there on concrete and we ran the skull car there at least once or twice and um and one of the bush or, or nascar north races after that i guess and uh, i never really was that comfortable but we went back the following year and finished second uh Finished second to Chuck Bound. I was all over Chuck. Just couldn't complete the pass. Uh, Chuck, Chuck won uh, won the race, and uh, I finished second. Uh, but uh, in a, in a, I think I think Beaver ended up third in that race. Uh, you know, ways back. But uh, we finished second and third, and uh, that was the weekend that our mom passed away while we were there. And uh, the Cup guys made it a point to uh, uh, suspend their practice which was scheduled right after our race for their cup their final practice uh so that we could get off the infield and and get home because they they knew that that was that was pretty nice of them that's pretty special yeah sure was i'm always curious what's uh what's the first trip to the road course like well 
Uh, of course, well, that, apart from going off the backstretch of St. Croix. <laughs> oh, you were there for a <laughs> No, long? no, I'm saying apart from, oh, 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 okay. oh, no, apart no, from that road when, course when Ron experience, quote-unquote. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my first my first attempt at a road course, I guess, probably was at the old Briar Motorsports Park uh, oh, yeah. up in at Loudoun uh, nowadays yeah. and so on. We ran the road course in the reverse direction of what the motorcycles, I think, ran it. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, at that point in time, I think we had a we had a Hones-Neens engine, but we were racing against Chuck Bound. Chuck had uh, road course experience from, from out in the West, uh, out in Oregon, where he came from in Washington, and so on. So we were all trying to keep an eye on him as to what he was doing. But we ran pretty competitively. Uh, Randy LaJoy was was good at that point. Uh, uh, Chuck, I think, if I remember right, won probably the one, or one or two times we went there. But we always we always ran pretty decent. We were always in the top top four or five. Robbie ran really well with that little uh, that little Buick that he had and so on. But uh, when we when we went to uh, Watkins Glen, uh, you know, again that was probably one of the more fun road courses that uh, I had ever been on and so on. And to say that. I should have won the race. That the the one that we ended up winning. Mike McLaughlin messed up. Uh, he led a good share of it. I chased him, kept him honest all day long, but just never really could could get a get a fender on him uh, into any of the turns. And he messed up getting into the the bus stop on the on the back stretch there enough that I was able to slip by and uh, went on to win. Uh, that uh, that first uh, Bush North uh, attempt at Watkins Glen, and that was uh, that was a big one for us uh, there. And and the Nazareth uh, win too was was another one on a on a big track. Uh, when we uh, and again um, that was a probably Mike Stefanik's race to to lose, and he did. Uh, and we had a, a late race restart with about I don't know four or five to go, and. As we came up through, my 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 time on on the track at San Air on the big track at San Air where you could get through that that tri tri oval situation on the backstretch of San Air without lifting uh, was going to get you through the same kind of format yeah, yeah. at Nazareth five turn weird yep. track yeah yep. and and that was that was my my edge I mean we were we were certainly you know, competitive and and keeping Mike honest uh, that day, but he missed the shift on on the restart, and Jerry Marquis was on my tail um, as we were chasing Mike, and I was able to grab the lead. And I th- I don't know that there was probably more than a half a dozen laps left when when that uh, caution or when that green flew, so I was able to to win that. But that was that was a big one, and that was really my. Probably my final, final win of my, wasn't the final win of my career, but probably the the biggest one. Uh, it was a fun time. That was a, if I if I remember right, that might have been a, a rain out, a Monday race, if I'm not mistaken. Too, uh, we we had to stay over. Sad to see that that track didn't survive. They really, uh, you know, they, uh, Penske. Ended up uh, 
shutting it down. But uh, it was a it was a great racetrack and the history of of what went on there with uh, the old well, not at that track maybe as much uh, when it was dirt, but uh, Nazareth and Langhorn or there's history there that uh, probably most people don't know about. Well, and it's the home of the Andretti's, and I right. mean, it's just a right, yeah, exactly. Died in the wall race town. Yeah. Um, what did you, you, you never won at New Hampshire. Um, nope. did you like the track? I did. I did. It seemed like we just, just never really had, I, it seemed like we were getting killed motor wise. I could drive, I could drive down into the corners as deep as anybody or deeper and, and get through the corners pretty good. And I'd, I'd seem to get just plain destroyed on the straightaways. And we had, we had what we thought was, was a, was a good engine that was push north and uh um it was a it was a roush uh chevrolet engine that we uh that uh we had at that point in time but uh something was something was not a hundred percent because uh i could i could race with it with most of them in the corners but uh just didn't seem to have enough pop down the down the street the best i finished over there i think was a third uh, ricky craven i think one and Ricky and maybe Joe Bessie might have been second, something like that. I, I think we had a third uh, was our best was our best finish over there. But uh, it was always a fun a fun track. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the uh, the, uh, the speeds on, on that track. It was uh, you know, more more short track than than most of your bigger speedways. I feel like our listeners would be rather upset with us if we didn't take time to ask about the battles with Dave Dion as you two are kind of intertwined to an extent because, you know, we've talked about doing some rivals episodes of our show Mm -hmm. where we talked to two guys who were, you know, quote unquote rivals Mm -hmm. and everybody told us they want to hear you and Dave Mm -hmm. tell stories about racing each other. You're smiling. Yeah. Well, uh, certainly when, when they showed up, uh, from Norwood, when they came up and, and started running with us, it, it wasn't but a a couple a couple of weeks time, and we we knew we had to pick up the pace, up up our game a little bit because uh, he was he was strong, you know, uh, right out of the box on tracks he'd never never been on before, and and so on, and especially at Thunder Road, it it caught him out. Well, I think we kind of had him covered in, and. Those guys, uh, you know, they'd have that car torn apart from stem to stern leading up to the main event, you know. So it might possibly have had to run the Conce in some cases, but, I mean, they'd have to run the part. They'd, they'd be working harder than anybody. And come, come main event time, they were, they were competitive. They were, they were there and so on. And uh, as, as time went on, um, he and his brothers, as far as I'm concerned, were were the premier team on on the series. You know, as far as uh, uh, you know what they were what they were accomplishing. I mean, Thunder Road. I mean, he was very seldom very seldom struggling in, in any manner, other than a mechanical issue. I mean, I truthfully thank God that he was running a Ford back in those days, because uh, quite often they were. They were changing engines, which uh, you know, we had we had times when we did too. But 
that that for he was the only uh, I think you'll you'll hear Ned Jarrett comment that uh, when Ned ran uh, Hickory that uh, they they knew of Dave up here running a Ford and very competitively running a Ford and nobody down in North Carolina or at Hickory at his track uh, uh, was competitive in a Ford and so they'd invite him down. And he always ran with the best of them down there with with that Ford, so they always enjoyed him him showing up, you know, uh, to race against uh, the Southern guys. But uh, uh, there there was, uh, I think, a, a, a lot of respect uh, between he and I. Uh, you know, uh, we never really, yeah, we beat fenders and doors in uh, to some degree, but it never really uh, involved a, a, a rivalry that uh, anybody was mad at the other guy, not going to talk to him or one thing or another. His his daughter and, and my daughter were the best of friends in the same class here in Milton and, and uh, have stayed that way all these years, you know, and so on. And and so we've, we've competed at two or three different style race cars over uh, through the course of time. And, uh, I got the most, you know, most respect for, for what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, it's, it's, it was a rivalry, no question, but your, your fans tend to make more of a rivalry. I mean, you, you had your Milton section, it cat out, you had your Milton section, then you had your Canadian section. And it was, it was a bigger rivalry in the stands than it was between Cabana Absolutely. and I, but they, but they made it that way, you know, and Cabana and I are, are the best of friends. Oh, at the time we were competing against one another. Yeah. You didn't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not as outgoing, I guess, as, as a Dick McCabe and, and, um, um, uh, a social butterfly, so to speak, where I'm wandering around the pits, stopping and talking to this one and that one. I usually just kind of hang close to the race car and stuff, and and let it go at that. And in some cases, you know, you know people think, well, he's you know he's kind of stuck up. But that's that's kind of the way I was. But uh, Cabana, on the other hand, he was um, he was the promoter. He was uh, he loved the limelight and so on. And he still he still to this day. Reminds me of the night that he wanted to play a joke on on all of the the Canadian and the Milton fans up in the stands at Catamount. So he said, "He says I'll I'll drive your car out for the lineup, and you drive mine out." And uh, so we did that. And when he crawled out of my car there in front of all the Milton fans, the place went crazy, you know, and and so on. But he he still he still laughs about that one. But uh, you know he's. Uh, uh, we're the we're the best of friends. I mean, back when Catamount was first getting started, um, uh, I was you know I, that was before I really was doing any racing myself, and uh, it was him, Andre Manny, uh, the best of the best. You know, uh, Charlie Trombley, Dick Dick Nephew from across the lake, uh, Bugsy. Bugsy Stevens and Freddie DeSero and the best Pete Hamilton, the best of the best from Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, those were uh, Marcel Godard, the, the Canadians. Um, it was it was incredible, uh, and I'd never seen them seen them race. I'd I'd never been up to to Canada to Granby and and some of the tracks that they that they had you know run on. But 
over the course of time, I ended up getting to race against uh, Cabana and Andre Manny and, and a lot of the Canadians that switched from the Coops to the late models to, to continue racing and so on. And, and it, it, was, it was just a, you know, a, a great time, a lot of fun. When we talked to Cabana, he still bragged that he brought more Canadian fans to Catamount than there were Vermont fans some nights. Oh, I don't doubt it. I, I wouldn't. I, I guess I wouldn't disagree with him. Yeah, he was certainly the certainly the draw for it. Yeah, but he was he he uh, he never really was real friendly with Don Biederman. Um, of course, Don was in Ontario. John Paul was in Quebec, and John Paul always viewed himself. He, I, I'm sure we always said he'd rather get he'd rather get beat by an American than he would a Canadian, mm. and uh, that and and that's probably the truth. I mean, he he always was uh, you know um, that that friendly. But there was there was some awful good awful good Canadian. I mean, uh, Langes was was a, a, a great a good runner. Um, Claude Oban uh, was probably one of the best. I mean, uh, there was uh, some of them were really, really cool. John Paul was was good. Always had great equipment and and so on, and and that certainly makes a difference. But uh, there was some some real good Canadian drivers that we competed against over the years. So let's talk about Catamount and you being the hometown star along with Beaver. Um, was there did you feel pressure, or was it you enjoyed it? No, I, I guess I never really looked at it as as any kind of a pressure thing. Uh, no, I uh, you know as far as you know our success over the years uh, at Catamount and so on. Um, I, I never really ever ever really felt any pressure. I, I mean, I guess it was just a matter of uh, yeah, we probably have won. Won a few more races here than anybody, and so we've got to, you know, just try and try and maintain that level of competition. But boy, when you know when Robbie started clicking, and uh, you know some of the guys that, that came in from from out of town to to compete with us, uh, it you know it, it was tough. I mean, uh, against our own our own group, yeah, we were probably. The guys to be in the in the early going, but uh, uh, guys that, that that steps everybody's game up, and 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 it wasn't too long where uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't that easy anymore. So we you know, we we struggle, um, and like I said, uh, some of some of your guys would come and go. I mean, everybody was raising families, and it was a it was a major commitment uh, to keep up the the schedule the pace that we had set for ourselves and and so on so it uh uh at times we were you know we were behind the eight ball to some degree whereas dave's team was pretty much a a brother's group uh, that uh, were all dedicated to his his success and, and they fought like cats and dogs amongst themselves too i mean oh yeah uh, he said that oh yeah and uh uh, and that's that's one thing that I guess I would say about our group. Uh, we very seldom had any 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 kind of harsh uh, words for anybody. Everybody was all kind of on the same page and and in agreement with 
with what we do next or whatever. Uh, you know, as far as calling the shots, as far as setting the car up goes, I I, I, I didn't even get involved in it. I, I listen to Kyle Larson nowadays when he's driving that sprint car and so on, and he'll as much as tell you that he, he doesn't get involved, doesn't really even know what what uh, that car uh, is, how it's set up uh, uh, initially. I mean, I'm sure, and like myself, you know, you're going to tell them what the car is doing, but uh, on the dirt especially, uh, track conditions are changing constantly and so on, so what you do early on uh, isn't going to maybe apply to the main event uh, a couple hours later and so on. But um, I would I would tell them what the car is doing and, um, Frankie and John, they'd they'd talk a little bit and decide, oh, maybe we better, maybe we ought to just go a little bit softer in the right rear, you know, for this. And and the car was usually that good. I mean, uh, we didn't we didn't you know completely change it all, but uh, it was set up normally when it came off the transporter. It was it was ready to ready to race for the most part. So when the time comes. And you decide you're good. Was that an easy decision for you to walk away from from racing in terms of driving? Well, I kind of I kind of stuck around probably longer than I than I probably should have. I, I I don't know. I had an opportunity to to drive a super late model uh, for Mark Willoughby uh, out of New Hampshire, and uh, and so we had we had some fun. The the last race that I ever did win. Uh, was a was a race at Star uh, in in one of uh, one of the and there weren't that many cars there. I think it was like the fourteen cars that showed up for that for that race. But we ended up winning. Joey Doran finished second uh, in that race, and and he was just a a, a raw rookie at that just point in kid, time. Yeah. yeah, just a kid. Yeah. And uh, but uh, he. Uh, uh, he's gone on. I think he won Oxford last weekend, if yeah, I'm not he's, mistaken. He's got a couple wins. Yeah, yeah he has got a couple wins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, uh, but I, you know, the handwriting's on, was on the wall. I mean, as far as, uh, yeah, I I still think you know, given given a a good car that I can probably get it around there and in a, in a decent time, but. Um, as Scott, I, I helped Scott out, you know, to some degree, you know, when he would, you know, have an issue as far as, uh, not being able to get there timely or whatever. And I'd go out and run the car when he was driving, uh, on the past series for the short time he was out there. And, uh, it was still fun. Uh, you know, we're still putting down some pretty good laps, but, um, it, it, it's not the same, uh, with, with uh, all those younger guys out there and and me uh, at this stage of the game, no. so I kn- I knew it was time to time to get out. How how proud are you of Scott and all he's he's accomplished, especially in the last? Oh my God, it's not even been that long, really. Five six years. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm really you know I'm really proud of of what he has what he has been able to do. I mean the the the, the Richard Green. Uh, uh, car, which, you know, he had the opportunity to, uh, to drive. Um, he, I, I think he got everything there was to get out of that car. And, and in a lot of cases, uh, got more out of it than, than was there. I mean, uh, the car is, is not an, a new chassis. It's been around for a long time. Joe, 
Joe prides himself and, and the team prides himself in during the off season making some changes which they think is gonna, you know, improve the car for the for the next year and they've done that consistently and they've worked around a, a setup that is is pretty pretty close to being what the car's capable of and and it's it's strong. It's and they call it the mule and, and it's a it's a it's a a warrior, uh, a car that isn't the way I see it. It's not as nimble as the Bobby Therian cars, the the Jason Corliss's cars, and, and Jason's car isn't a new car by any means. No, yeah. But um, some of the newer chassis are built to go strong and fast right from lap one. If you watch Scott in a fifty lapper um, in that car. Um, he was running probably the same speed at the end of the race as he, that he was at the beginning. It wasn't fast enough in the early stages, but in the late stages, especially in a in a longer distance race, a hundred or hundred fifty lap race, uh, he's usually in the top two or three, knocking on the door there because the car just hasn't slowed down, whereas everybody else is maybe. Uh, having a loose condition, a tight condition, a little bit in the late going, and 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 he's you know still still circling with uh, with about the same with about the same speed, and um, so that's been his his big thing. And and with this new car that he's he's running this year, they've had their issues. And of course, it was it was fast right out of the box on opening day, and it got yeah. trashed, and and they have since come back with it and it's been it's been good but they haven't really been there at the end of the race and so that's something they've got to they've got to uh improve on as far as um you know being being strong in the in the late stages of uh, Jason Jason without question Corliss has been has been the you know hands down the the car to beat um and he can the other night, uh, uh, you know, when he, I think he, I think he got out and went to the front sooner than he really wanted to. Uh, I think he really intended to save his stuff and ride, but uh, um, the sixty car, um, uh, Derek O'Donnell, uh, Derek O'Donnell, uh, he he broke away and and that was his first good run, and he looked he looked strong, and I think that kind of got Justin and uh, Jason in, in gear. Early on, and he uh, he went to the front, and, you know, and and took the lead. But uh, his uh, his car, his stuff is good, right right to the end too. So he's uh, certainly the the guy to beat at this point, without a question. Who is um, maybe the answer is Jason Corliss? Maybe it's not. Who other than Scott do you enjoy watching the most in the last? Give it ten, twelve, fifteen years. Well, I in in recent years I've I've become a a, a dirt a dirt fan and uh, I follow uh, the the world of outlaws um, pretty religiously, really, uh, and so on. But uh, I, I like the late uh, the the super late models, uh, the the world of outlaws and the, and the Lucas Oil late models. But the sprint cars are are my passion at this point, and and the Super Dirt Series, the big block modifieds. Uh, uh, I went over to Plattsburgh to watch them on their inaugural 
um, race over there about three years ago. I think Larry, Larry White won the race uh, running high and wide, and it was a great race uh, and so on. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Rocky Warner fan myself. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I like Rocky, and, uh, and uh, well, uh, I, I follow what goes on over at Fonda pretty pretty weekly. I, 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 I get flow racing, so that's one of their weekly weekly tracks and so on. So I, I watch a lot of the races. But uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, probably the one regret that maybe I have of all of the years that I spent that maybe I didn't do more dirt racing uh, than, uh, than, I, than I did. I mean, that one year, actually, at Devil's Bowl was really the only real race time. I had a couple of opportunities to run a special night race at over Bear Ridge, Bear Ridge yeah. I, right? Bear and Scott Ridge. beat yep. all of you. <laughs> well, th- that was the second the second time, right? And the first year Scott didn't race; it yeah. was Beaver and I and Brent and so on. But uh, and I also ran uh, one of um, Mike Parati's uh, cars over at Plattsburgh one uh, one night on the asphalt, uh, uh, and that was it was a dirt car on the asphalt and. Uh, I, the car was rocking and rolling on, on on that asphalt, and I don't know. I think I finished fifth or sixth. Probably should have won the race, but I finished fifth or sixth. But they said, "Geez, you look so smooth out there." And I, it, it, well, it was anything but feeling that way. I want to tell you that. Uh, you know, but uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. But uh, no, I've I've really really like uh, following the dirt cars. I. I I think there's there's more to the dirt the dirt chase or, or at this point and and I like the fact that there's no mirrors there's no communications there's no spotter they're out there they don't know if they've got a a lap or half a lap lead on the second place car or if he's on their rear bumper you know I I like that and they and they've got to look around to find the the moisture, the traction, what they need, and as the track takes rubber, I mean they're wearing they're wearing tires out, and and it's a, a whole different ball game than what what we were used to, and I and I really I really like that. That's uh, that's that's a lot of fun for me at this point. I'm very much a converted asphalt to dirt fan. I yep. you know I grew yep. up the yep. same tracks watching you, and now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm I'm a dirt guy, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, that's uh, that's that's the way I see it. I mean, I, I would have liked to have tossed out the mirrors in our asphalt, Sam, because there there were times when uh, you just couldn't make a pass because a guy had his nose in the mirror instead of looking looking in front of where he should be going, you know, and stuff. But uh, uh, that's uh, that's a good rule. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Quick hitters, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, first one, if you could go back and redo any one race, is there one that sticks out in your head that you'd like another crack at? Yeah. Yeah, the Oxford two, one of the Oxford 250s that we had in the bag, and uh, and I'll take the blame for it. It was my, my mistake. We had pitted late in, late in the race, we we had been pretty much at the in the lead group or, or leading at that point when we caught the caution timely to come in and change tires late in the going, 
and it was just a matter of getting back out on the track and 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 going back to the front and I was in the process of that um uh, without without a problem and um Mike Rowe was struggling that night came up I came up behind Mike coming out of uh, well actually out between turns 3 and 4 and I dropped low to underneath Mike and it was going to put him a lap down and I and I don't know if 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 they you know he had radio contact that said I was coming by low or whatever. But anyway, I got forced down enough by him to hit my left front tire on on the curb, the inside curb mm-hmm. of, of the track. And it it messed up the toe in just enough that we were done. We were junk. And and that cost us probably my my biggest race, uh, you know, as far as a money one situation without question, but just to have an Oxford two fifty on your resume, uh, that would have been a, that would have been probably the the one race. I I certainly would have done that one. I would certainly do that one differently if I had a chance to to run it. I'm not I'm not blaming Mike. I mean, uh, you know, you don't want to go down a lap and so on. And to say he did it intentionally, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, it was my mistake to try and go through probably where, you know, he was just going to close the door on me. I'm going to borrow my question because the question I always ask is, what is the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? But it sounds like we've covered that from your early days. Um, but I'm going to borrow Tom's question. Who's the most underrated driver that you ever raced against? Who, who got it done with the least amount of equipment? Oh, boy. wish you'd ask me this. Uh couple days ago so i would have kind of thought about this ask, ask me another one i'll try and think right. of this one in the back of my we'll mind. come back we'll come uh, back <laughs> i'm gonna steal one we actually we put up today on our facebook page that we're talking to you and we've gotten a lot of comments and kevin lepage wrote in that you were one of his best teachers on and off the track but one caught my eye it was from chris durkey who said that you would blow a motor in practice, load the car, go back to the shop, change motors, and be back in time for the feature. True it, or false? It, no, that's true. Uh, we did that one night when uh, Bobby Allison was here in attendance and uh, went, uh, blew an engine in practice, went back down to Sears Lane, which is uh, in Burlington, down to John's shop, changed the engine, got back, got back in time to... Uh, unload the drove the car out onto the infield because they were getting ready to put the Concy cars out there. We only had the Concy left to to qualify in. Drove out on the out onto the speedway and down onto the infield to unload the car. That kind of held the show up enough for us to. I was in the car in the back of the bus, uh, strapped in and ready to go. Oh my God! Came, came unloaded it, managed to qualify. I don't remember where I finished. But uh, went on to uh, win the feature that night uh, with Bobby in attendance. I think that might have been the night that uh, well, Jerry Driscoll. I think he he ran Bobby off the backstretch there with his uh, okay. with his Plymouth or whatever. whatever. But uh, uh, we we won the race, and and I'm not sure that. Uh, uh, but it, but it, it, that's true. Uh, everybody, uh, you know, well, I say everybody, but uh, that has been. Mentioned a number of times, but uh, how was the crowd that night? After, I mean, well, it was it was uh, you know it was a, uh, I, 
well, I, I'm sure it, it struck a chord with with all of the Milton fans. But uh, uh, to, to say that you you could manage to do something like that and and get back in time to to qualify, we've we've done the same thing. I won't say the same thing, but left Thunder Road in in a late afternoon deal to get over to Oxford Plains and manage to get into the last concy enough to qualify. And that, and like I said, that was you had to qualify for the Oxford races because uh, you, you'd be going home without uh, making the show and so on and uh, go on to, you know, have a good night, you know, stuff. So uh, we, uh, but there again, the guys were, the guys were that dedicated. It was, uh, it was uh, uh, a heck of a good group of guys. I mean, more than once we would have an, uh, and maybe an engine issue blow up or something. Billy Towers, who was a manager, he was on our team, and and he was basically the manager of the parts room at Sugar Chevrolet, and uh, saw more than once uh, after a blow up at Catamount or whatever. And we were running, we were running three o twos at that point in time, uh, and. He'd, he'd go down in the middle of the night and pull a target master off the shelf. Uh, that's a short block uh, 302 and put it in, put a set of heads on it, get it in, and we'd go to San Air or whatever. And the car handled so good that horsepower didn't mm. matter. I mean, the engine, engine wasn't clearance properly, you know, to run to run as a race car engine, but uh, it wasn't an issue in that in that Allison Chevelle. I mean, it was... And there again, uh, the little track at San Air was as flat, or it actually tipped the wrong way. I think uh, through the corners on a third mile track, and and handling on that track certainly was uh, uh, was the key, and we we had it. But uh, uh, more than once, uh, a stock a stock engine uh, would get the job done for us uh, until we could, you know, until John could put together another engine with a little more horsepower. You want to circle back to that uh, underrated guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, well, you know, uh, certainly, unless he was under underrated because he had some some great runs. He's part of the uh, near Hall of Fame. Joy Carafas mm. struggled struggled mightily um, at, in his early early time up here, and Dave and Dave and his brothers had a fallen out. Paul Dion worked worked with Bob Curtis when Joey was driving, and I mean, right away. I mean, the car. I mean, the car was a a rocket ship. I mean, uh, he he won he won race after race, and so on. So uh, there's so many guys that have got the talent that you know maybe just don't have the the backing that. Uh, they need to show what they can do. You know, that's. Uh, I, I was like I said. I'm. You know, my my success was from Frankie and and John. And I mean, I, I wish one one of those guys was was here tonight to to, to throw stories out. I, I mean, saw Frankie at Thunder Road on Thursday. And he said he wants no part of doing any of these. He does want. <laughs> I mean, he he was a big part of Brian Horner's uh, yeah, success absolutely. for so long. You know, and he was. Uh, he's that good. He's that calm. 
Uh, I mean, he's been he's been behind the wheel of that Vermonster uh, up at um, uh, Napierville the last year or two uh, <laughs> at a hundred and I don't know, 165, 70 miles an hour uh, at his age. Sitting uh, behind the motor. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> I think Frankie's like 80, 83 maybe. He really? was, he was, he don't look it. I mean, no. he don't look older than 50. But, I mean, he was the young, he was the oldest of our group. Wow. Uh, and so on. But Frankie is up in his 80s. Uh, he's, he's at least 82, maybe 83. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, at least eighty. I, I, I know anyway. that, but uh, but behind the wheel of of that dragster, I wouldn't I wouldn't even want to sit in it. Saying about drive, <laughs> driving at that speed, but he knows. I mean, he's that good. I mean, uh, he he knows he knows his limits, and he knows what 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 will work and what won't. And uh, uh, those those guys were were my, the reason for my success. I mean, I. I don't know that I could have been as dedicated to it as as they were, as far as uh, uh, if I wasn't behind the wheel, I guess. Uh, and I still haven't really answered your question as to who's the most underrated. I mean, Joey, Joey was certainly uh, uh, you know, a, a great competitor. I mean, Dick McCabe, uh, we had so much fun with him. Ronnie, Ronnie uh, Barkham. I don't think we anybody had more fun racing all those years than he did. It's just that he never never took care of himself to the point of of being a, a, a real threat until until that car that Stevie Hibbard built for him yeah. that, that Chevrolet and that was a, that was a rocket ship. Uh, uh, and <laughs> uh, one of the San Air races, we, I wasn't racing that particular point in time uh, it was well i don't know it was on the it was on the short track it was um at least a 200 lap race it might have been a 300 lap race i'm not sure but anyways you know ronnie uh he's gonna party all night long oh, yeah. or, or whatever and and probably not be fit to yeah maybe maybe the even wheel. the morning of the race too. yeah exactly yeah. but anyways he he talked with me some point, and I, and I guess it was before the before the race. And he said, uh, "You're going to be doing anything?" I said, "No." And he said, "I got it figured that, and and like always, the the, the weather conditions at San Air on the little track, it was always ninety ninety plus degrees mm-hmm. in the shade, and that made it good for the girl that was selling ice cream." Front row there, all of us would uh, would be able to see her. McCabe was always pointing her out. <laughs> but anyway, Ronnie Ronnie said, uh, "I got it. I I I got it figured that um, a fresh driver at at the halfway point could win this race going away." Well, and he knew he wasn't going to be capable he wasn't of it. Be fresh. Right. <laughs> and and it was at that point in time when he was running that Chevrolet that Stevie Hibbard had built. Had built, and it was probably about sixty percent left side weight. I mean, you turn right with it, and it probably would have rolled over. But, anyways, um, I was sitting there along pit road wall. It was, oh, I don't know, probably sixty laps into a two segment race. There was going to be a break uh, between between segments, and 
Uh, anyways, uh, I'm, I had a two-piece driver's suit at that point in time, and I was sitting there just soaking up the sun with a top off, and um, one, of the, one of his guys said a caution was out, and he said, he's coming in. You better get ready. And I said, already? And, and it was like lap 60 of 200 or whatever. And, uh, and so I quickly got ready, got my helmet on, and in he comes. And he, they helped him get out, and I crawled in. And of course, you got to know Steve Hibbert. Um, as far as weight goes on the car, uh, seat didn't have any seat cover on it. Now, strictly an aluminum seat with no no upholstery on it whatsoever. Ronnie had a jug in there, probably a a duo or, or a, well, I don't know. It was an insulated jug that probably held two gallons of of whatever he was drinking at the time. I'm not sure, but that was that <laughs> maybe was, that's the problem. <laughs> well, that was strapped in, but he was he was a mess already at sixty at at 60 laps, he was he was done for. But in coming through the field, and he'd been leading the race. I mean, he'd come through the field, but he'd poke the nose in a little bit. And it was the time of that um, automatic, it had an automatic transmission in it. It was a weight-saving thing that Stevie knew was, uh, it was the old uh, Chevrolet, um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of. Uh, what what the name of those automatic transmissions were, but it was aluminum, it was lightweight, and it wasn't something you could just put in there and forget about. You had to you had to rebuild them from time to time. But anyways, it wasn't much of a shifting lever, but uh, it was just a straight line pattern, and, I, and it wasn't nothing was marked. I didn't know if I was in first gear or if I was in low gear or drive or whatever. But anyways, got in the car, got strapped in, got back out, and I was at the tail end of the field, and I managed to get it finally into drive after finally poking around a little bit. And the car was, was so good that I drove I drove right up through the field with it. But it was running on the warm on the warm side and and I was concerned about that. I mean it only had a couple of gauges. I think they had an oil pressure gauge and a temperature water temperature gauge didn't have a tack, anything to save weight. You know. I want to put that lead down on the frame rail to make up for what's missing inside the car. And um, anyways, uh, and like I said, it was a deathly hot day. And uh, so I went up through, we, caught, we had a caution or two, and, I'm, and I went to the front with it and, and was comfortably leading with the car, but it was running on the warm side, running about... 210 or whatever under race conditions and then uh or i should say maybe like 220 under race conditions and then under cautions it would come back a little bit and and uh so i, I told them on the radio i said i don't know about this temperature and they said yeah well, we don't you know don't worry about it it's okay it'll it'll come back uh, it'll cool off and so i kept i kept leading and running but in the process i wanted to get a drink well, that jug that he had in there was bone dry. He drank every bit of it. In 60, in 60 laps. He, he drank the whole thing. I mean, it held probably two gallons. And the the seat is heating up. And I'm burning the cheeks of my rear end in, in that aluminum seat. Of course, a hot day will bring out hot spots in, in any race car that you hadn't noticed mm-hmm. all season long and when you're racing at night or in cooler temperatures on a hot afternoon. 
Uh, I've melted the heels on my shoes. I burned the side of my leg against transmission humps. And in that particular day, I burnt the, the cheeks of my rear end in that <laughs> aluminum seat because they were saving weight by not having a seat cover on that aluminum. <laughs> and finally, uh, finally got to the point where the water temperature was an issue. It weren't coming back. And so I, I brought it in. I said, I'm not going to blow this thing up for you guys. And, and so, uh, parked it but uh could have won that race going away i mean that car was that was that good you know that strong well i drove it again at a later point at catamount for the new england 300 and uh and and uh, and going back to the shifting thing uh ronnie ronnie asked me to drive the car that day i don't know uh, why why he wasn't gonna but anyways uh sure so um I ended up <clears throat> getting a, a lap down as I as I went out of the pits from a stop or whatever I wasn't in a right gear it was just a straight line pattern and I ended up getting a lap down under caution and I was making my way through the field and I got up to Dick McCabe and he I, I don't think he was leading but he was in contention for the for the win and anyways, uh, some of the guys must have said, uh, uh, he's coming and you don't want to let him get by. And he didn't, uh, he crowded me into the fence coming off from turn four enough that I was able to get off the fence enough, quick enough to get a piece of him. And it turned him into the, into the wall and his day was done as well as mine. I felt, I felt bad about wrecking Ronnie's car, but, uh, they said, "Don't worry about it. Uh, it. It it was it was that good a car. What a, it was a it was a a piece uh, like I had never driven in in recent times. You know, it was it was something. But it was a, a Steve Herbert Steve Herbert creation. Smart guy. Yep, sure was. All right, man. Well, for a guy who was thinking he wasn't going to give us too much information, we just got two almost two and a half hours out of you. So." <laughs> Well, uh, you know, there's. I'm sure there's other, other stories somewhere along the way. But uh, it, 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 when you get to Beaver, and and uh, you'll you'll have a lot of a lot of fun with some of the older older stuff that he's done. Uh, uh, Otter Creek and those Otter things. Otter Creek, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we we thank you for my pleasure. I, 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 I enjoyed here. it. Uh, I uh, wish I could have answered your, your question on the most underrated. I'll I'll, uh, I'll text you on that one, and you can. Okay, add we'll it. add it in. Okay. <laughs> All right. All righty. Thanks again to Bobby Dragon. That was a fun episode, Justin. Oh man, yeah. It's awesome. it's weird. It's one of those where we went whatever it was over two hours with him, and I feel like we glazed over so much stuff. Yeah. Because there's just, you mentioned the stats at the beginning of the show, throughout the show. There's no possible way that we can do, you know, an interview with someone with that kind of resume and career without glazing over things or making it freaking nine hours long. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's what do you what do you keep and what do you cut out so it just i was happy you know we try to do and i think probably our listeners have noticed this 
we try to go in chronological order with just about every interview to sort of keep things on pace. This interview did not go that way, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I think we got a lot more out of it than than we would have if we had held them to the numbers and held them to the years and they're like, no, 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 you did this first, you know, which I have a tendency to do. And you are, you are more stringent to the chronological thing than I am. Yeah. And sometimes I'll say it and I'm like, you know, not to jump around and I can see you wince (laughs) because you want to go in order. (laughs) And at the beginning, and it's funny because I started listening to some of our old episodes this week because I just didn't have a lot of, new podcast to listen to at work that I was excited about. I mean, you know what? It's been a while. And I go back and listen to some of the early ones and you could tell like how much more stringent you were to the wanting to do the timeline in those first couple episodes. Yeah. And then you letting me have a little wiggle room with that as we've progressed and we find our, our rhythm as we mention every other well, episode. We didn't so. know what the hell we were doing either. <laughs> we still don't, <laughs> but certainly not back in February or whatever, when we started. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, we did all our test episodes with Ricky, who we've mentioned many a times Ricky, and thank him very much for being our, our test guinea pig. But an interview with Ricky about Ricky is not the same as trying to, piece together a 40 plus year career full of, you know, 150 victories. Right. They flow, they flow in different ways that you can't quite be prepared for. Yeah. When, when that was your test subject. I've been grateful for your breaking in and, you know, interrupting my chronological spiel many times, including there was one moment, with Bobby and I can't remember what it is now, but you asked a question that I wasn't even in the neighborhood of thinking about. And I was like, Oh yeah. Ask that question. <laughs> you know, So we're continuing to, you keep doing that to get better and better with yeah. our rhythm. And I enjoy it. And it's easier. It was easier in person. Cause like we said, Bobby got into it and there were some, some long, some long answers. Yeah. And sometimes on those long answers, I just kind of lose track of where we are and I can just give you the look and you'll know like, sweet, I can go in my order now. Yeah. I looked at you a couple of times cause like there was a period of like a half an hour where you never made a sound. And I was like looking at you and be like, all right, it's your, your shot. And you're like, Nope, go ahead. It's <laughs> like, okay. We went back and forth pretty well on this one. It was just, you know, yeah. Bobby gave some good long answers. Then a couple of times, like you said, where it's just like, oh man, I forgot kind of where we were Yeah. by the yeah. end of it. I'm like, huh. Eh. And I can, sometimes I can see like, and if I see you flipping through the pages, I'm like, Ooh, he wants to follow this up with something and I'll let yeah. you have that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, I don't know. I can't, I guess I can't speak for you, but I feel like we learned more and this one that we had no idea going into it yeah. than any other show. Maybe and we you know, kept, maybe Ingerson or Shirley, but Yeah, and we kept learning afterwards. I mean, we went down, he showed us yeah. the trophy room, and he mentioned he wanted to mention it on the show, but we didn't get the chance 
because I found his lone basketball trophy yeah. in the trophy case. Yeah. So I have the uh, the eye for it, and it was a tiny little like four or five inch trophy for like high score at Milton High School. Yeah, and he said, "Oh man, I wish I'd talked about how much I felt like playing." all these different sports, basketball, soccer, baseball helped mm-hmm. me in racing in terms of, you know, being an athlete and longer races. And I always find those interesting and it's hit or miss. I can, based on some, some of the guests I kind of know ahead of time or not, I'll decide whether or not to ask if you played any other sports. Yeah. Cause I, not to stereotype, but a lot of racers are, <laughs> they are racers that didn't necessarily play a lot of other sports. Yeah. They worked on cars and that was their passion, which is great. But I'm a firm believer in kids playing tons of different sports. I hate the specialization. Yeah. You got to round them out. Yeah. And all lead into others. You know, if you have a kid that, you would love to play basketball. Fuck it. Soccer is fantastic for basketball because you're learning all about footwork. Yep. And all these different sports lead into, you can take things for other things. And it was cool to hear him talk about that. Well, you set up a play in soccer a lot like you would set up a play in basketball too. Look yeah. for the open, you know, but pass hand or, eye or coordination of a baseball yeah. and all these different things. And yeah, he kind of hit on that and all those different sports kind of helping him be an athlete and helping him with longer races. And we've talked about on this show, there's, there's a lot of different, different Ronnie Barkham story up at St. Air. There's a lot of different shapes that (laughs) drivers come in. Yeah. So you were talking about, you were listening to some early episodes. You got this message today. Hi, Justin. You don't know me, but we both know Al Smith, who's a guy that I know from Devil's Bowl. He said, I know this is a weird way to start. Apparently, you also know Aaron Maynard and Andy Lambert, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I was just finally listening to the Dave Moody episode of your podcast. Great stuff, of course. But the best part that made my night was the mention of a People's Academy Hazen basketball game in January 1996. I think it was Tom Corbett who mentioned it. I don't know who he is, and at least you know people I know. Why did that make my night? I played for Peoples. Or in that game, I sat on the bench for Peoples. <laughs> but I cheered really hard, and I remember Dave Moody being a few rows behind and how exciting that was for me having grown up going to Catamount and Thunder Road. Weird, I know, but great podcast. Can't wait to get caught up. And then he sent me a picture of the article. Uh, so that's pretty cool. AJ Hamlet yeah. was the guy. Hell you know, Yeah. You know what? People's lost that game. <laughs> hey, Zoom. You know what else? People's lost the championship that year to who? <laughs> Hazen. Enjoy your state runner up that I got circa 1996. You didn't get it. <laughs> I have it. I was a part of a nice runner up. I'm saying I was bringing myself down. I'm picking on him, but also bringing up that I did the exact same thing. Right. Finishing in second place. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, that's, that's really cool. And yeah. Yeah. I do yep, a, I, uh, we... I do the best I can. 
to not turn this into a basketball podcast. And those few instances where I can weave stuff in, the fact that it's appreciated by one person, that's all I need. Yeah. They're coming in hot now. <laughs> I got the affirmation from one person. Now we're letting it fly. So we're going to change the name to Fast Break. <laughs> and Big Trap Tom is going to start every episode with a whistle blow. Fast Break, classic old basketball movie. Feel free to check yeah. it out. Yeah. So there's that. That's my gift to you. Thank you. That's, that's AJ's gift to you. And uh, we wanted to keep this uh, somewhat <laughs> brief as we had a longer episode. But uh, coming up this Wednesday, episode two from the Crunch yeah. Bunch. Crunch Bunch. The Farmer. Gary Mullen. Sir. Yeah. One of the best people on earth. Um, and um, Al is banging out these episodes. We're going to go much, much faster than we anticipated, I think. Um, but you know what? <laughs> the Thunder episode was phenomenal. Not only was it great to listen to, but it's beating a lot of our other shows, the numbers-wise. Um, so apparently, Crunch Bunch was a good idea. Hopefully we can keep that strong momentum yeah. going forward. Well, we got a we got a we got a lot of people to choose from. Um and Al's doing a great job and uh he's already got one or two other ones in the can. He's got three or four set up. He's got and we just got another up. one in yet last night, so Yeah. Which is so, really kind of forcing our hand with the we were planning the, <laughs> the once a month but all of a sudden there's like four or five in a can and i didn't want to be the dick that <laughs> a couple <laughs> weeks from now when we have 12 in the can say hey thanks for next year <laughs> you're done for the year Al. <laughs> we'll see you right around the fourth so we're gonna do the every other week and <laughs> no uh, uh the support on episode one was was very good and yeah really good. awesome to see so we're happy to do that every other week. And yeah. like I said, we'll just kind of keep seeing how it goes. And, you know, in a perfect world, if it builds up enough fanfare and enough people keep listening to it every week, we might break it off into its own podcast feed. On its so own channel. Can, yeah. So yeah. you can have two separate ones. Yeah. You know, we give them the initial rub and then break him off and he can be a bigger success than us building the empire that's a mini tower on the side of our empire uh, building an office building in our empire building the cafeteria of our empire <laughs> if you are listening to us on apple <laughs> then just tune out now forget it <laughs> Give us that, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five. Five. Five-star review. Five. Rate, review, Spotify, Google Podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can subscribe, you can sign up for notifications, do all those things. Uh, They help us out with algorithms and all these things that you don't understand, and truthfully, we don't either. Neither do we. Uh, follow us on all the socials Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram 
The Instagram. Also, we mentioned it last week. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode yeah. or more of yeah. Uncommon Deeds, you can send us an email at uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. That's uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on Facebook. Yeah, it's probably easier, but that's fine. Yeah, whatever's convenient for you. Or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Yeah. And we would like to do business with you and promote yeah. whatever you've got going on and work together to make you a part of our empire. Oh, God. Jesus, he said it again. To be fair, you said it first. I know I did. I started the thing. Yeah. Uh, for Justin, I'm still Tom. You've been listening to the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.